right up front. I want to apologize for any audio or video problems, but we're just uh, doing this live. I'll edit this all out. I am here with my good friend. What's your last name? No, I forgot your last name. Matt Stewart. Well, it's a little screwy. They want to have a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. Has anybody been to a wedding? <laughs> Could it be more gay? <laughs> Let the gays get married for the love of Pete and Pete. <laughs> you know it's right. Good friends, good friends know each other's last names. You, we only talk to each other. Son of a bitch. When we're um, live, so yeah, that is true. So we refuse to talk to each other on the phone because we think it's going to ruin the the podcast, which is hysterical. Which um, is but hysterical. I, but we totally agree, which makes our relationship work perfectly. You call me on the phone, and you're like, I have so much to talk about. Yeah, hold it for the uh, podcast. I don't want to talk to you. Okay, bye. Then I hang up. Yeah. One of these days, we're going to be like in some kind of an emergency. It's like, I got the most important thing to tell you. And I'd be like, pause, pause. Then the next time I see you, like in a newspaper brief. Okay, so. But, but, but people need to know that we're in the middle of a break. It took two people to break up this relationship. God, that's a first of all, that we were in a breakup, that you didn't want to do the show that I wanted to do. We did a big, very important Me Too show where we told a lot of stories about. Yeah past really like stuff that you probably shouldn't lay out there and my feeling was some woman got to you and said oh that show you did was not good curtis my problem is people think i'm either dating someone like constantly or you know constantly whoring around and and more especially because of my strong views on marriage what i typically do is i enter a relationship that's fairly long term and then i'll go into another one but you know not something like just constant uh, uh, what do you call them? Um, not the overnights, but uh, you know, what do you call them? The one night, one night See, stands. I use uh, one night stand. Yeah, I don't constantly do that. Sometimes I do that, but but often it's serial mon- serial monogamists. I think they call serial monogamous. But monog- monogamous means you have like relations, short relationships over and over and over again. So thank you for for those who miss him mansplaining. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you want to get... I'm just saying what people call me or they come up with terms, you know, for whatever. So. But I think that's normal, too. I think biologically, you know, this is, again, it sounds, these things that sound controversial, I don't know why they are considered controversial. Because uh, women are biologically designed to get pregnant for nine months. Guys are biologically designed to just be popping and impregnating women constantly. They're not designed to wait nine months while she's pregnant. So the cultural and the social and the ethical and just the natural trying to live in the world, those are the reasons why people will couple up and 
people don't run around and get people pregnant and all these different things. But biologically, as just base, dirty, disgusting animals, you're supposed to get a woman pregnant, move on, and then get somebody else pregnant, essentially. The stuff you no, talked no, about no, made no. you... The stuff you talked about look, made you look like a douchebag, and you guys were two windbags just talking about women. But, like, guys have to yeah. get the freedom to talk like that because we are scared and we are censored. And, uh, if, and if someone gets in your head and tells allergies. you that the show that we do is, is shitty or is not cool, and you come back and say, oh, man, I don't know, I got some bad feedback on that show. I don't know yeah. what made you feel like that, but our show is well, about this. Being as what? real and as genuine as my job and my marriage will allow it to be. That's what this show is about. That's what everybody so, needs to know. So not, so not genuine at all. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's very true. That's, it's that a is, joke. No, it isn't. People should be laughing because everybody knows that's true. And everybody lives their lives, you know, yeah. in, in a very phony, not genuine manner. And that's because that's yeah. the way society dictates it, you know, and I, and I just don't like it. I, I hate it. I hate that. That's the world we live in. So I, every once in a while, Curtis, we try to get as close as we can to the edge of losing my job or losing my marriage or whatever, for the sake of doing some fucking silly podcast that everybody says, what are you two doing? What is that? I don't understand. It's, we're trying to try to break some ground here, man. We're trying to yeah. be real. So it's not easy. But, so but how do, how do we learn? How do people learn? Like, I'm starting to think men learn after the fact, like after something's already too late, like after something's broken or, or, you know, the lesson is already, you can't go back and fix it. Like, I think women sort of like figure the guy out right away. And then they're like, look, you need to change. <laughs> and so the guy's like, F you, I'm not going to change. I'm a me, I'm a man. Right. And only until that woman is gone in our case is women. And then you come back and you're like, um, oh, yeah, maybe she was right because now she's gone. So what's your, what's your take I, on that? I agree, I agree with that, but here's what I would say to you, and this is really hard for any relationship to do, but I think it's a little bit easier today. Is and I was just saying to this, so this other guy, so real quickly, we got, we contacted each other because I did a show last night. I did a show last night. Um, about my kids about her, all, her friends are about to show up. I did a show last night uh, in New Jersey, Trent, New Jersey, with a guy named Weedman. It was booked by a guy named Marklin. He was the, the booker of the show. And we got into a discussion about this because we were saying how people aren't real when they talk about things. And mm -hmm. I was saying, you need to establish right away in a relationship, like, I'm going to be bluntly honest about everything. Whether you can handle it or not, that's, that's your thing. So if you have yeah. parameters or if you have issues with whatever my weird badness or ugliness is, if you have an issue with it, then you got to say something and we'll negotiate from there. But if you hold back right away with a woman and you don't tell her everything about, everything about you, then you're going to be, yeah. the whole relationship's a lie. But no one does that anymore. So and that's, it that's the thing. It doesn't necessarily even work. I mean, uh, it's going to sound. But it can. It can see, but you say that because society, society tells you that, right? But like, Here's, here's examples of what you could do. You can text a lot. You can create a journal that you share on, on a phone. So like you journal each day to each other and you express to each other exactly what's going on in your mind. And then the, the woman obviously can say, like, so let's just say for me, anything goes sexually and I'll just throw it out there. And if she goes, well, that doesn't mm -hmm. work for me and that doesn't work for me, then I as a man have to go, okay, that's cool. I respect that. But I just want you to know that it lives in my head. She's like, yeah, it lives in your head, but we're not mm -hmm. doing that. But, but I thank you for right. expressing it. So she gets to draw the line. I'm just saying you need to have open communication <laughs> and negotiation. It's not just like, here I am, and I'll, I'll, you've got to accept me. There has, like you said, there does have to be negotiation and parameters. Yeah. You know? so I respect that. But I don't want to live uh, with someone who, who doesn't understand what, everything that's going on in my mind. And obviously, I don't think I'm normal because so much is going on in my mind, and we do need to talk about 
The gig I had last night was at Weedman's Joint in Trenton, New Jersey. This is a dude who has been arrested about five times for for what? I'm gonna be careful. For for, for yeah, I gotta be careful about how I say this, but huh? For for um for holding oh, marijuana, I suppose, yeah. and five times he's gotten himself off with jury nullification. Mm-hmm. He's defended himself. So I'm performing comedy across well, it's, for it's the good that he's incognito with walking around with the name of Weedman. Well, oh, that's his whole thing. He doesn't want to be incognito. He's taking this straight on. He's a true activist. To me, he's a true legend. I took the gig solely to meet the man. I didn't really want to go do stand-up last night. I went to go meet this activist, and it it was Mm mind-blowing. So he's created a sanctuary there, which means he is protected under religious right laws. So it's a Rastafarian sanctuary, so it's part of his religion to smoke weed there. And people go there and smoke weed. Now, I don't know... Dude, I didn't even know. The place had been raided, I think, in just recently. So, I, I mean, I could have been swept up last night. So, that, that, I didn't find that till after the show. Um, but it was still cool to meet him and then be in that environment that I've never been in. Um, I don't think I did a great show. I think I was, I was sort of overwhelmed with him. He was sitting, he's sitting up at the front of the stage, filming well, me and commenting me while I'm doing stand-up. And I'm just like, what the is going can, on, man. Can we, so. can we back up for just five, five seconds and, and sure. give sure. some kind of context of where this show is in your life? Like, were you doing other shows prior to that? Is this completely out of the blue? Sort of. Now, that's a great way. That's a great place to start because so if people out there, there's a show on HBO called Crashing, and I recommend everybody watch it with Pete Holmes. Uh, he just got can't. He just got Judd, canceled. Uh, Judd Apatow, right? Yeah, John Apatow and Pete Holmes, uh, they created a show. Oh my god, Peter. Sweetest. I thought you were going to be writing jokes at the library. What are you doing? What? Who is this? Oh shit. Welcome. My wife slept with somebody else today. Oh boy. Yeah, oh boy. Uh, Go write some jokes. It was a terrible set. Extraordinarily bad. Top five worst I've ever seen. I'm going through a divorce, so I'm kind of floating around. You can crash in my place. I can't wait to see you. I love you, too. When you had a side chick, giving her that bedroom voice, was she touching herself? She did all the griddles? Hmm? That was my mom. She's a special lady, and I'm her little gentleman. I've never done drugs. Mm. It's very close to what... It is like being a stand-up. There's some hyperbole and some fantasy there, obviously. Some right. of his relationships early on. With, but I had not done stand-up. The last time I did stand-up was when I think we talked about it, was I was driving some, I was Ubering. I was, my job was an Uberman. And I picked up a, a woman who was going to do her first open mic. And I said, I'll stop by and do a set. And I went and I stopped by and did a set. So I, hadn't, I haven't done stand-up in that length since... Uh, 10 years, nine years, that much material. I mean, I must have done 30 to 40 minutes material last night. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so there's a first time and first time of doing a long, long set hosting uh, in about 10 years. And th- that's a lot of material for people who don't know sort of the comedy underground to, to craft it and, and to get that. Yes, but that, yeah. and that being said, but the reason why I quit comedy is because I never thought my material was good enough. I never thought I was being prolific. I didn't think my writing was good enough. 
I don't even like doing the jokes I was doing last night. I did three new bits right off the top. So uh, when I first got on stage, I did three new bits that were, yeah, you know, again, you, you're working them out. You don't know the room. You don't know who's supportive of, of you. But I did bang out three new bits in the beginning. And then I did all my old, what I consider hacky, poorly written stuff that I don't like anymore. I don't like yeah. my material. So it's very hard for me to do yeah. stand-up. I would much prefer to do this. I don't want to do stand-up. I would much prefer to do this and do that on the side. That's, what, that's the dream. Gotcha. But I would also say, I think the only difference between you and every other comedian isn't those doubts, is the fact that you stopped. Because you could even look at Jerry Seinfeld uh, in all of his documentaries and so on, and, and just that sort of self-critical, and uh, this is good, or this is shit, right? Yeah, I've got like two bits and the rest is uh, I think that's something not just comedians go through, but people just had an office job, people getting a promotion. All of these, my stuff is, I have a friend who uh, was going through these things just a week ago or so, uh, and she just got back all these job offers and six figures and all this stuff. And I was telling her then, the problem is no one ever sees themselves as others see them. And I, I, I told her, I can't map my view of you with your own internal view of yourself. And then like a week later, boom, she's three job offers. She's like, I don't know which one to choose. So I think we're all- No, that's, that, that's definitely deep shit you just said because it really is hard to read also people internally what's really going on. But I would say to you, I, I also look at other comics with the same eye. I just don't say it out loud. So yeah. I, I evaluate all the comics and I know what I really feel about their acts and them as a person. And I want to say an interesting thing about Pete Holmes only because- for a long time, I couldn't remember this story. So it's a quick Pete Holmes story because he comes across in the show crashing as this really nice guy. So when, yeah. I, when I auditioned for the Conan O'Brien show at a comedy club, um, just, be, just before I really, really, really officially quit, because I met Conan O'Brien, member, and he, he gave me a, an opportunity. I actually gave him his, my card. He actually took it back to his talent producer and actually set up his audition. And on the audition was me, Pete Holmes, and a comedian named Arge Barker. Thank you. And the reason why I'm bringing up is I couldn't remember Arj Barker's name, but Pete Holmes, after Arj Barker had an okay set with really good material, like way better than my material, he was laying into him, man. And Arj was really, get, was, I felt like was being upset. And I was like, wow, this guy Pete Holmes is really a dick. Like he's really being mean to this guy who really felt bad about the audition set he just had. So I just think it's interesting, you know, Pete Holmes looks like maybe he's grown a lot from that time, for that, you know, but... Uh, I, I just remember that. But, uh, again, still a great show, and he, and he seems like he's grown a lot as a person, but I remember when Pete Holmes, I was sitting at the bar, and I was starstruck by both of them because they both were much better than me, and Pete was barely in the business that long, but he had already risen real fast, and he was just trashing Arge Barker, and Arge was, seemed like he was upset. And I felt like going, man, you're being a dick. Like, he's, he's upset, but I didn't know enough. I was probably pretty upset, too. I did okay, but I knew my stuff was pretty raw. I hadn't been on stage forever when I auditioned for Conan, so, so my set was really raw. When was this? What, what so, year are we talking about? So this is 2008, 2009, just before okay. I quit. That was my last uh, really big break. Could have been my one big break that I had. If I had gotten this Conan audition 
then everything might have changed for me, you know. So, but I was really raw. My stuff wasn't. The problem with me is I don't know how to edit and really get those TV sets down. And I like the rawness of it. And it, it's those are those could be excuses, but that's just how I like to yeah. perform. And that's not that's not very good for TV unless someone really sits you down and says, okay, like Eddie Brill used to be a talent producer for for. Um, for Letterman. Um, it's true, and I had, I remember I was the MC the first time Louis C.K. ever did stand-up. Mm -hmm. Well, he was a writer at the Letterman show, and there was another guy from Massachusetts named Bill Sheft, who's still working at the show, mm -hmm. and the two of them recommended me for the, the warm-up. So I had a six-week trial period, and here I am 16 years later. He would actually watch your set many, many different times, and, and he, would, he would work with you to get it down to TV ready, and then he would bring you on Letterman show. So we'd do all this legwork to help you have a really good set. Yeah. On, on the Letterman show, which is just crazy. Eddie Brill, one of the greatest hosts and MCs I've ever met. Like, definitely one of my idols when it comes to uh, hosting. Because hosting and MCing is a real talent. People don't realize. Again, it's a real talent. It's another skill that people don't yeah. really yeah. understand. Because you're you're not using pre-recorded information, for lack of a better word. You're you're feeding off of that live energy, and you're you're listening, and you're and everything else. And I, I've told you this in the past. Often when I go to a comedy show, my favorite comedian is always the host. Always. I mean, I always like to see how that comedian, that comic is working the because room. Because you, know you know that's real. The rest is all phony. Unless somebody does a lot of crowd work, you're just watching some guy recite right. the same shit he's been saying for possibly, in my case, 20 effing years. So the, the host, if he's going into the crowd, you're hoping some of that stuff is improv though he might have also a lot of the lines ready to go so you don't right. again you could be you could be being fooled again uh you yeah. have to go see him maybe a couple times but yeah i would say the host particularly on a show last night i have the hardest job because i'm bringing up just a bunch of comics there's there was no there was no mc feature and and it was just a bunch of comics in a show at a place called a sanctuary where we just floating around and people are talking and drinking and the sound, there's no lighting, there's no proper lighting, there's no proper sound system. It was really, but I wanted to do this show because this guy is a, you know, he's a pot activist. You know, he's really, his whole thing is last night after the show, this is, I don't even know how much I can talk about. Um, but I, I'll just say this, because I think he's going to do it. You know, when the laws, so next week will be the legalization of, March 25th will most likely be the legalization of marijuana in New Jersey. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy and legislative leaders say they have agreed on legislation to legalize recreational marijuana for adults. The Democrats announced the agreement in a statement today. It calls for a $42 per ounce tax and entitles towns to collect tax revenue. The legislation also calls for a five-member regulatory commission. It comes after more than a year of negotiations, mostly behind closed doors. It's unclear whether there are enough votes in the Democrat-controlled legislature to pass the bill. That law will go into effect. It probably won't fully blossom for six, to, to, six months to a year because they got to bang out all these other, you know, the rules of dispensaries. But this guy, Weed Man, and I think his name is Ed Fortune. I hope I'm saying that right. It's spelled funny. He wants to be let in at the top. He doesn't want to be a little guy at the bottom. He's like, how do I become up here? I don't want, you know, and he's basically saying, I don't want people of, uh, I don't even know, you know, who are Caucasian to be running the show. It's got to be equal uh, across the board. We call them people of non-color. <laughs> so he's going to fight this. And I'm like, man, that's cool, man. I'm right with you. I'm like, I, you know, I'll go to any protest. I'll go to any, I'll go to any protest you have. I'll go any, you know, so 
Uh, he's really got a lot of gravitas. He's scary because he's, he's also kind of like an angry pot smoker. He's not like that, that super chill. You can see there's an edge there. Um, so, you know, it's a different vibe. It's not the vibe. And he's a really nice guy, don't get me wrong. But there's mm -hmm. an edge there that, you know, can be intimidating. Marijuana for sale. And can you tell Sarah to Sweeney that there's somebody outside selling weed right in front of his castle? I'm selling weed here at the State House. Up oh, here come state troopers. Wait a minute, hold it, hold it. I can't get lit. Uh, the permit is for uh, down by the annex, button. I'm not a part of that. And uh, I wasn't. I definitely was starstruck and intimidated. So it affected me on stage. I wasn't being completely who I am. You know, I, I wasn't being completely genuine. I was being a little intimidated by him sitting there and live streaming me while I'm doing the show. And, you know, I was trying not to be a dick because these are pot smokers. I'm trying to be progressive, you know, yeah. trying to really be careful about because I don't understand the room. I understand. Or I understand. a uh, Oh, dude, you want to vape? I'll vape right back at you. Yo, um, I, I let my vape. <laughs> I, I that's so funny that you bring that up. When, so, when did you start so, vaping? We have uh, I, I got so this. much to talk about. Yeah, I mean, like your Conan story is for me an, an entire show. Like, yeah, how that started. Absolutely. And absolutely. The, the, every, everything. And, and I, don't, I guess it's good, but it's such a scattered brain. My interest. It's a great, it's a great story, too, because it's a great story. It's, it's like Trump. It's the, it's the best story. Everybody's going to hear it. Everybody um, has a story, but none as great as this. Yeah. No, like my story is the best story. <laughs> <laughs> the best, the best. But it is, it's so, it's layered in so much comedy because I was heavily definitely into the secret. Definitely one of the best. I was heavily Am into I the right? secret yeah. at that point. I was definitely heavily into the secret. I was definitely on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Everything yeah. that fell into place was crazy. How I met, the, the whole dynamic. Like, if I told the story, people would be like, dude, that's, that is a crazy story. If you're into comedy, if you're into show business, mm -hmm. if you're into trying to make it to the next level, like, dude, how... Conan O'Brien took your card, took it all the way to New York City and gave it to his town producer. That's pretty crazy. That's a pretty crazy break. In the and middle I of nowhere, Connecticut, he's sitting with his family. In the middle of nowhere, I come riding up on my bike. It's, just, it's like a movie scene. You're like, dude, that would never happen. Yeah. Uh, it's terrible. And, and I'm, I'm going to let you finish a story, but still 15 seconds where um, I'm always surprised how, <clears throat> uh, how our lives mirror one another. And I think that's sort of what brought us together because I think I told you the story before where I was on stage and it was this whole shit show really um and but i did the right thing and i showed up and i started performing by myself and a a, a talent seeker whatever you call those guys from arista record no atlantic records it was came up and and handed my manager uh uh was a close friend his business card so i never got that business card but he oh. was giving it to me and again that's a whole nother story and, well, uh, I mean, and, that, and the people need to realize that that again, it, it, it it's again. It, that's why I take these gigs and do these gigs because mm -hmm. you really just don't never know. You don't know if you do a bit and someone films it right now and it goes viral. Boom! You you, you don't know you don't know what's gonna make that turn for you. And it's sad because again, 
so my big thing about doing stand-up comedy right now is when I get you on stage as a host. You love it. That's the whole thing. You well, no, but when I get on stage yeah. as a host, there's mostly comics in the room in the very beginning of the show. The show hasn't really started. There's all comics. And I'm like, first of all, all you comics, everybody calm down. I'm not going to be fucking famous. So everybody can just drop your competitiveness. I have, I, have, I have no teeth in my head. Like, I have a whole rack of teeth missing. I'm 53 years old. You know, my days are writing well. I, so you all need to relax. I'm not in competition with you. I'm not in your lane. Everybody chill out. Enjoy the show. Because as comics, I don't want you to be competitive with each other. I want you to support because it's mostly comics in the room, yeah. you know? So I'm just trying to be real with these guys. Like, I'm not trying to eat your lunch, man. I, I'm done. I, if, I get, if I hit it, it's going to be lightning bolt. It's a complete luck out. But you guys are young. You can grind it out. So let's everybody chill and support each other. I don't, yeah. know, if it, I don't know if it reaches them, but it's something that I need to continue. My it, tagline I want to be is I'm not going to be fucking famous. Everybody relax. I'm not going to be famous. It's again, bad. I said the exact same thing like all the exact same thing and i can tell you from my experience it doesn't register because i thought i was just jamming i was very explicit like hey i just want to jam with you guys and when i was playing i felt this uh, these eyes on me from every, from all the members and what i didn't realize was that it was basically an audition you know and i wasn't auditioning i was jamming and they go, look, at the, at the end of this, we, we, need a, we need a keyboard player. We were like, so I started doing my things, and I started to, they started to adopt to my style. So, but I was like, I'm not here to, I, 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 we had a big blowout, and I was like, you guys are trying to be famous. You, you can't sing. Right, I'm, the same, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. Not way too, I'm way too honest sometimes, or I just will close my mouth and back away if I'm having the same thoughts. But yeah. the other thing is, the most interesting thing about that story is, I have no idea that you play keyboard. And we've known each other for now. I don't know. We're going on two, three years. I don't know how long it's been. I, can, I have no idea. I can tell you even a, a better story that'll blow your mind. I didn't know you met Conan. So fuck you. <laughs> All right. No, that's great. But that's great. I mean, that's, and we try to save this shit for the show. So it comes off as real as when, as when we do it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's story but, for another day. And I'd love to get yeah. it down because like I said, it's a yeah. great little NPR fresh of breath air kind of a, if I could if I, I should write it out and really hone it down and make it funny because it was it was the whole thing was so crazy it yeah, really so was many, so crazy so many great stories yeah yeah so I you, was go ahead I, no no I don't because if I do it I'll, I'll go we'll go off into a tangent that's not so not necessary right now so I will yeah. go off into a different world so you can ask what you want to ask because I don't want, I, I just know that I was into the secret and I'm writing Dear Universe and I'm trying to attract all these things into my life and when stuff like that happens and you're doing the secret, like everything's the secret is Joe's show joke, but when you're that high in the secret, you're like, oh my God, this stuff works because I was really deep in, man. I was deep in, I was like praying and I was like, universe, no, send no. me the, send me, send me the, this is what my, my mantra was. Send me the friendliest person in show business that will help me. Send me the friendliest person in show business. I was trying to be specific because I was thinking, yeah. you know, all these people are, have lives and they don't want to deal with Matt Stewart because they don't give a fuck who I am. Right. There's one guy, Conan O'Brien, he could have been like, he kind of took that card and like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll bring this to my talent producer. You know, just yeah. flip it. You know, yeah. So it was just crazy that the whole thing happened. And I, I am very, sh so I am very shy. I suffer from social anxiety. I'm hoping that vape, I'm vaping CBD oil. Um, okay, stop. Uh, we got to stop because I, I'm vaping and I, I, my, 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 my close friends know this. So of course you don't. Um, no, I can't. We just, we save everything for it. But yeah, I, I, went through that whole social anxiety, SAD uh, thing, like paranoid, just not paranoid, but just, you know, uh, almost like a panic attack, all these things. And people will call me with their issues and their problems that they think are so unique. 
And I'm like, well, you're not weird. You're not unusual. Uh, th these are normal things. But people go, you? How could you suffer from social? I go, I'll, I tell you. So they were like, how do you get? How did you get rid of it? I go, I don't know if it's gone, but it just like went away. It just like I just, it, you know, I just sort of got rid of it. But you talked about the vape. You talked about the secret. My secret was, um, what the what the bleep do you know? Two objects, two electrons created together, are entangled. Send one to the other side of the universe. Now, do something to one, and the other responds instantly. Instantly. So, either information is traveling infinitely fast, or, in reality, they are still connected. Which yeah, that's the next deep, level. That's like the deeper quantum physics I, level. Of I thought the secret was sort of like the next level because when I when I started to look at the secret, uh, no. I was like, okay, I'm done. I, I think I'll stop here. But I'm to this day fascinated by what the bleep do we know, and then I even understand it more now. Not so much because of what people think are the weird shit, but because of the the foundation of the quantum, because. Right. Every scientist and the, and his brother or her brother um, <laughs> talks about quantum mechanics and all these things and whether or not we're in a simulation and we can go off into the down the rabbit hole. Right, and I would advise anybody who's listening to us to just just dabble in both those things, man. Maybe yeah. smoke up and watch it. I don't know what your thing is, but I mean, if you want to go that way, check just check it out. See if it, see if it resonates. If it doesn't, walk away. Like I, it's all what works for you. And like I said, I'm I'm not done with my social anxiety. I think it's getting worse as I get older. I did a bit on stage where I was working on a bit on stage that I went out to get salad dressing for my wife. I had a panic attack when I got to the store. I could not pick out salad dressing. I could not pick out salad dressing. I had to walk outside, gather myself. I'm not doing my bit. I'm not doing the. I'm not doing my lame ass bit for you on this podcast. I actually had to go outside, gather myself, go back at, back inside to try again to purchase uh, salad dressing. Could not do it. Left without the salad dressing. But what Came was home the, with no? What was the uh, motivation? Was, I don't know what. I don't know what sparked the people that around you. Yeah. I don't know what sparked the uh, anxiety, but it was based on this. Way too many choices. I don't know what salad dressing is mine. Why does Paul Newman have his own? And then it just, it just grows from there. And you're like, are other people looking at me? Am I, am I starting to look weird yeah, uh, sitting that, here? That mine. That was mine. It, w it wouldn't be so much the salad dressing, even though I've never had that experience. Um, so well, that's what's funny about it, though. To have a panic attack, it's hysterical. It, but you get it, like that. Oh, it's understandable that's crazy. for anyone that's crazy. who knows that's that. Salad dressing? Seriously, you can't pick out salad dressing? Well, because so, you don't you don't know if you're doing it right. You're looking at other people. Just here's mine, and here, the, look. The reason you're a good comic and everything else is because you think about shit, and that and so all you're doing is sort of funneling that essay energy into something positive, right? But most people don't think about salad. They just do it because no one is taught this stuff, right? The only things you're taught are. Yeah, this is going to be your religion. Do you believe in evolution? Um, no. What do you believe? That God created the world. Who told you that? Um, my This parents. is where you're going to school. You know, all that sort of life stuff, those tasks. But 
no one says, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you how to go get salad dressing. So people who think like you, who are active in their thoughts, they're like, how do I do this? Do I get it right? You know, I don't know how to shop. Right? Some lady comes by, some dude grabs something, you know, all confident. I know what I'm doing. He has kids, and you're like, I don't. I'm clueless. They've gotten some kind of education that I don't have, and you start thinking, panicking. Am I doing? Do I look right? Am I looking weird? Am I? So. So the other thing is I feel like I feel like vape and marijuana and stuff is, is trying to keep yourself in a certain vibe. So when people say, oh, that guy smokes yeah. too much, he's trying to keep himself in a certain vibe that he enjoys. You know, I don't know when my panic attacks or social anxiety is going to kick in. Sometimes I'm great. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'll go to the grocery store and I'm like, I guess I just got to get out of here. I just can't. I can't stay in here. So no shopping gets done. I just go, nope, can't do yeah. it. And I leave. Run. So it's, I can't even power through a grocery store, you know? So, and again, the other funny thing about me is I'm not a foodie. And maybe if I did smoke up, I, I would be a foodie because I know that's yeah. a big thing about smoking and eating. But again, I right now, just so the world knows, I'm only dabbling in CBD uh, vape since January 1st. Because I, 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 I cannot tell you whether I'm doing something else due to, due to the ramifications that might come along with it. But I'm definitely telling you that I'm smoking CBD. And I've had the same pod since uh, New Year's Eve, so who knows if it's even doing yeah. anything, if it's just a, a pseudo cool. effect. I would love to, that's a whole nother story that I would love to get into. Um, um, it's your show, baby. Well, I mean, this is sort of a dense show. I mean, we, 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 we should backtrack and say, we stopped doing these, whatever people are calling them nowadays. What, what happened? Your fault. Your fault for why we stopped oh. doing these. <laughs> yeah. Because I must tell the audience that Curtis wants to have some sort of aesthetics to the show that I fucking don't understand. And I'm like, Curtis, we need to do shows together to build chemistry so we can be funny and comfortable. That's what comedy is about. Stage time, stage time, stage time. I did do it. it, do it. And, you're, and we just have fights on text. We're just like two, <laughs> two, two uh, brokenhearted people who are trying to get this relationship back together again. It's I did, not going to work. I didn't consider them. And the thing is, dude, no. The thing is, I I'm didn't so much more fight. in love with we you. journaling. And you have the power. Hey, wait, you have the power in this relationship because I need you and you don't need me. And it just stinks of every bad relationship. I need Curtis. Curtis is like, I can, I can survive without you. I can do shows. I can get other That's guests. It. I don't need you, bro. And I'm like, all right, break my heart. Yeah, bye-bye. Uh, Take care. Have a good life with your dog and your house and whatever record, else. I, I, I don't have the power. I did gain some power right after the release of Black Panther. But that's a social construct. That's a whole Look, other thing. That's a whole other thing. Look. <laughs> We weren't fighting again. We were journaling. I was putting my emotions and my feelings and thoughts on paper. And we were so not true. So not true. So not true. So not true. But look, I didn't really. I didn't want an aesthetic, and I didn't stop live streaming because of any of these things. The I I got tired of sort of the construct or the state of live streaming. This isn't easy for me to say, but I'm a narcissist, and I crave views. I am, of course, speaking about my relationship with Jordan, Jordan Cherokee. Hashtag humble brag. And please consider donating to my Patreon account. You know, to see every Tom, Dick, and Harry, or Tom, Harry, Dick, this live streaming, and I go, what's the point? There's so many people yapping. And I, and again, my my whole motivation and, and your whole motivation for being a comic and for for doing anything is is to love it, is to enjoy doing it. That's 
Not, when I'm I, dude, I can't argue because all that logic is clear and it lives in me too. So like that fucked up dialogue in your head, whether, whether it's real or not, that's your dialogue and, and you, you have to speak truth, you know, right. speak truth to power. That's, that's your thing. And then uh, I can't argue everything that you just said. I can't argue. My argument is, you know, you're wrong. We, we have chemistry and I don't have chemistry. And I want to warn you that he's not going to do this. This guy in Markle and I met who is the producer of the show is you times 10. He has like power energy and he tried, he comes with this big passion energy. I'm like, we do got to, I was like, oh, forget Curtis. I, I found my man, but I know he's not too busy Racist. for me too. I know, and I said all the things to him. I'm like, you have all the power. I, I can't do what you and Curtis, this guy, Markland have so much talent and I don't have the talent. And I feel bad that you guys, well, he's doing a lot, but you should be doing more. But I don't even, we don't even know each other. I have no idea what you got. I don't know what you got going on over there, Curtis. We don't know. I don't know no. what you're real. You might be Black Panther. I have no idea if you're fighting <laughs> That's crime. True. I, mean, I, I don't know. I can't talk about it, but um, I have no clue. I have no clue what you do on your uh, other times when I'm not chatting with you on the uh, last year. You should ask Conan. I met him in 2006, and uh, yeah, it's, such, it's so soon. So, so talking about this does sound very douchey, but I would also tell you I have another. I have another story for you. So do I? Well, know, before, I, I am before a, you wait. Before you get into the story, we we it, everything you just said begs the question of why am I live streaming? Uh, why have I returned, so to speak? And the reason, great story, it's going to be a great story. No, the reason I'm back is because of you. Um, you're the only person that can, once I'm out, you pull me back in. And uh, you probably don't even want to get into this, which is what motivates me to get into this. So I wanted to sort of tip the hat to Mr. Stewart and, and sort of honor all these things that are starting to sort of uh, happen, and he's had a recent opportunity to rejoin one of our one of our glory moments, and we met at RP, Real Progressives, Real progressives. Yep. Home, home of um, home of MMT, Real Real MMT, so, and Steve Brumbine, and stuff. So found founded by the. Uh, the I don't know I guess he's infamous in some circles. There's always this MMT versus non MMT fight, which I don't really have any interest in. But um, he's well known in in certain progressive circles. He founded uh, Real Progressives, and that's where the great Matt stuck. Um, <laughs> it's Stuart for those who know how to pronounce it correctly, because it's uh, but stuck is a bit that I'm trying to work on because I've been using that for years. So, well, but you're I'll literally see if I can yeah. yeah. You're literally Stuart on trying to find a conclusion to that. Yeah, but when I was little, they would say, would say, is Matt stuck here? And I'd say, <laughs> yes, I am. And then I would get a big laugh. I guess, you know, they would say, is Matt stuck here? I go, I guess so. This is where they put me. Big yeah. laugh. And I was like, oh, that's how my comedy career began. That was my first, that was my first joke ever written. Is Matt well, stuck here? Go. I guess so. Welcome, Matt. Yeah. Then I went up and did five minutes. But, um... So Matt is considering. So do you really want to? Do you really want to go down the RP road? No, because no, no, I, I, no, no. I just want to say that because Matt was uh, considering going to RP, I think he was recently invited or something. Uh, he may be returning largely because of the void of he and I not live streaming. And before he did that, before he joined RP, I didn't want to do live streams uh, after that, you know, because out of respect for his new role, but I definitely wanted to revisit this and remember how much fun it was and everything else. Um, and so that's why we're back. So I think oh, I appreciate applause. it. Man. I appreciate it. I don't know what's going to happen with RP, everybody out there. 
Uh, Steve has some high-end stuff going on now. I don't know if I'm getting involved. I don't know what my role is going to be. I don't even know what's going to happen. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, well, he probably wants to bring you in because you're so low-end, and that'll sort of balance the scale. There you go. I'm ready to be low-end. You know I'm not afraid to be low-end. These are jokes, folks, among among friends who don't know anything about this is roast, each other's This lives. is roasting. We roast each other. We're roasting I each other. I love roasting. Okay, Matt. I, yeah. I, I, I so, so, so the other big – so I always feel douchey about the Conan O'Brien thing, but people need it's to know. Douchey. like, so I only have a couple claims to fame. You know, I started with comics that have become very famous. They would never talk about these little accomplishments that I had, but they are, again, unique stories. So – I was in 2006, I believe, I was hired to um, headline at the Comedy Nest in Montreal, Canada. And I guess got it through a gig from a guy at work. I sent my stuff or whatever. He got me the gig. I get the gig. Either the first night or the second night at the club, um, the, uh, the club owner through somebody else, or I don't know if he comes to me or who, they, but the bottom line is this. He says, if you curse again in my room, I'm going to fire you you're going to be off the show for the weekend. So I'm telling you, do not curse. If I find out that you cursed, I'm going to fire you. Oh, um, on stage. Whole, yeah, really? yeah. No, curse, no cursing on stage. So I just well, like, whoa, I tightened up my act. Because I, I was probably being, they put me in a bar. Uh, so you did the showroom like a Friday and Saturday or Sunday, and then they put you in a bar Thursday night where you were just doing a random bar. And like, you know, big bar, it was a big, huge bar. It was straight for the stage and everything. And I was, it was a boisterous crowd and it was like a weird room. So I'm cursing and stuff because I'm trying to get some energy to get some comfortable. No, this is, Montre this is Montreal. I'm in ah, Montreal, okay. Canada. And, and we're talking about 10 years ago. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's but the bottom line, dynamic. Yeah. Hmm. So the bottom line is I'm in panic mode. I, I tighten on my set a little bit. I, I finish the weekend. I get paid. And then the sound guy comes up to me and goes, look, I want to let you know something. He did, and he did instruct me to record every single set you did for the rest of the weekend, and uh, you, you did great. I gave it to him, and I also would like to mail it to you. Just give me your address. So actually, it was a godsend. This guy had everything super mastered, all audio, not video, and he sent me three of the sets. I haven't listened to them since. Maybe I listened to him once or twice. I don't remember. So on the drive down there, I was listening to it. And again, it's so weird because I was super comfortable. I was super calm. For someone whose job was about his, his one big headlining gig I was about to get fired from, I was calm as fuck. And I was just comfortable. I don't even sound like myself. And I did fine. I still don't like my mm -hmm. material. The, the audience was fine. I performed well, but I don't really like it. But I had built up so much stage time and so much comfortability that you, you could survive. You could do, I could, I could probably go anywhere in MC feature. I don't know if I could middle, I don't know if I could headline everywhere, but I was able to pull off headlining there. And I, I listened to these stats on the way there. So I was like, oh, so I also too was having this whole nostalgia trip yesterday. So this broadcast is a nostalgia trip, and so was yesterday. I don't know if I'll continue to do stand-up. I don't, I don't really have great interest. If I could write new material and, and build a whole new set, that's one thing. But I much prefer to podcast and live stream about stuff. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's, what, that's where my passion is. You know, the, the, yeah. I don't have... Comedy's a grind, man. Watch, watch Crashing. It's a grind. It's a, and you've got to love this grind. But it's a super grind. Not even, it's a little bit yeah. fantastical that he's you know, having best friends with all these well-named comics right out the bat. That's not the way it works. You, know, you, you yeah. run into them. You're crossing their path, but they're not treating you, like, they're not treating you well. You know? so. But it's, it's, it sounds like you're, you know, you're sort of figured out 
even unintentionally, that work-life balance that is really not the meaning of life, but sort of the template of how to live life. It's, it's to balance, you know, these tasks of just obtaining money and everything else with doing things that, fuel, you know, fuel your passion. So even if you're not grinding uh, full, full time, you know, that sounds like my, my high school dates. But in any case. Yeah, but the thing is, I, I wanted to do, I was hoping we would do a, a live stream podcast weekly or monthly or whatever. Um, that's still not going to happen. I, I, Marklin's got so much going on with his thing. You, you, you're flaking ahead. I don't know what your story is, Curtis. Um, so I don't even know what, I don't know what's going to happen next. This just happens to be a really good weekend where I got to do stand up. I, I, I got to meet up. Uh, it all, but go on. Uh-huh. <laughs> I got to meet uh, a great activist in New Jersey, uh, weed man. I hope I'm saying his name right. I went to his, so it's a restaurant sanctuary and he's trying to build entertainment. And next week, you know, that, that market's really going to open. It's really going to be cool to see did someone really jump on top of legalization of marijuana and combining, you know, maybe a, a dispensary with a comedy club right next door. And I don't, know, I don't know where they're going down the road. Like, I don't know where it's going, right? Can you smoke publicly? Can you, can you smoke outside the joint? Can you smoke at, inside a separate place and then go into the showroom? Or can you smoke... You know, I, could they build a room outside, then you walk back in after you smoke to watch the show? Will it become a thing, is what I'm saying? Will mm-hmm. weed and comedy become a thing, um, something that can be franchised or whatever? You know what I'm saying? Will it become, a, will it become like, you know, there's been different comedy booms uh, throughout history. Yeah. Maybe there's only been two or three. I don't know. But this, could this be another comedy boom that's going to happen in New Jersey because they're the first ones that understand that you combine the two for a great environment. Like add, just add everything. He's mm-hmm. adding everything in. He's adding, they want to put bands outside and they want to create, you know, a place to smoke and then come inside. And I, it's, cr- it's crazy what the potential of it. Again, I don't, I couldn't do any of it. Like even when talking to Ed, this great activist, he's got, so, he's running it. He's run, he's running so much. He has so much on his plate. And I was like, Oh, I was, I'm being like I am with you. I'm like, oh, we should do a live stream together. I would love, you should have guests come in here and sit down with you. You're a legend. You're an activist. And he's like, dude, I, I run a business, man. I, I got too many things. My plate is full. You know, I don't really have time for that. But I'm like, you yeah. don't understand the gravitas you have. You don't have, you don't understand the, that, dude, I can, this guy got arrested by the police and then defended himself. I would have crumbled. I would have been crying. I would have been, you know, i, I I probably would have got off because I'm a white guy, but I, but I'm just saying, um, you know, I, I I could not do what this guy has done, and I really truly did go there to meet him and be around him, and I was I was awkward and starstruck, and I don't get starstruck. I wasn't starstruck by Conan O'Brien. I was I knew I had to ask him, and I didn't want to I didn't want to um, offend him and his family. He was there with his wife and kids, but I wasn't starstruck. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, oh, I got to talk to this guy. But with this, other, with, with this other guy, I was like, this guy fought the law. This guy's no joke. He's not afraid of anything. And I was like, this guy, and he's sitting yeah. there at the, the front of the table. You know, he doesn't really, I don't know if he laughed at any of my material. And, he, and he's commenting from the stage, which is good. I like the weirdness of, I like alternative style shows. Like, again, and this is, speaks to what you say. Is like, so what you say is like, I don't like watching everybody doing the same fucking stupid podcast live stream dynamic. It's boring to me. And I get that. And that's why 
last night was so cool. I'm in a sanctuary uh, across mm-hmm. from the Trenton Police Department, which I find out later was raided. Everybody's smoke. I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but people are smoking weed, and weed is there, and it's a thing, and it's the it's the thrust of the evening. And I, I don't. I, it was well, they're talking about like, guy whose name is Weed Man, so it's not. Yeah, I guess I guess it's okay. This is the sanctuary. Obviously, it's weed themed. It's called NJ Weed Man's Joint. You know how many people's lives have been ruined over those weed laws? That's how I got my start. I was arrested for marijuana, and it ruined my life. And I've always been speaking out about it ever since. Okay, but I, just, I get it, but, but I, I have trouble just even talking about. Like, you know what I'm saying? I seriously do still right. have like, anxiety. Right. What should I should say? What's, what am I supposed to say, not say? I don't want to screw up his lifestyle, whatever. I don't want, you know, I don't want to bring undue attention to him. Um, but... And then we're on the, we're on this we're on this cusp. We're talking to me, you're telling me in a couple of days weed's going to be legal in New Jersey. And again, for me and my social anxiety, and for for, for my pain issues, I would like to d- dabble down the road if it was okay with my job. I don't know if it's legally okay, so I, it's not something I'm doing right now. But it's something I definitely think about every day when I wake up. And I do have a vape pen full of CBD oil, which has no THC THC in, in that. I do, and I have been vaping in January. I don't know if it really works. Maybe it helps me sleep, but I've had the mm-hmm. same pod since January. It's now March. So I don't know if I'm hitting it hard enough or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but I, yeah, I vape too, man. So, uh, and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Again, I'm, I felt like last night too is like, you know, Curtis, the thing about me is I've always felt like I don't fit in anywhere. Whenever I go somewhere, I mm-hmm. never feel like I fit in. Yeah, yeah. I never feel like this is my home. Like I've, I've done improv with UCB and I went there and I loved the vibe, but I didn't feel like I fit in. Like people looked at me like, what's this dude doing here? And when I go to a showroom that says weed man, everybody's smoking weed, I had to tell them I'm not a narc. When I got on stage, I'm like, I know I probably look like a narc. And I, that was the other thing. I'm like, I want to relieve everybody's tension. Like, I'm not a narc. You know, I'm a security guard. Everybody just calm the F down. So if you're feeling a weird vibe, you know, because I'm trying yeah. to get these people to. And we, and it was weird. I do feel like I, I had the energy. Where do you live, uh, Mr. Matt Stewick? Uh, right, right down on 21 Jump Street. The God. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. No, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 but again, that could be my internal fear. I don't know how they see me, but that's what my brain is telling me. You know, right. I'm on stage. I'm, I'm wearing the same exact outfit. I had like a wristband on that protects my mm-hmm. wrist. So I'm like, you know, I'm looking like, like this. I don't know what I appear to them, but I'm trying to soften myself and I'm trying to get the audience to like me. And I didn't do a lot of hosting. I didn't go into the audience. I was really just doing straight up material because again, I didn't feel comfortable roasting people in the audience or making fun of them. And I just didn't want to do that. And I didn't make fun of the comics, which sometimes you do if they do bad or good. I tried to not be a dick from the stage. I tried, and I wished mm-hmm. if my lifestyle, if I was just a comic and could smoke up. So that's the other thing about Arge Barker. He's a big pot smoker. So I felt bad that Pete Holmes was, I thought this guy is a pretty progressive, sentimental, sensitive guy. And Pete Holmes was just thrashing him after a bad set. And again, I would love to be able to smoke up all the way during the show and see what kind of effect it has. See, see if it goes off the rails, see if it helps. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like, again, it's very experimental. And so when you talk about some of the things that you talk about, I totally get you, man. I totally, and I can't argue with you because I think you're right, but it still doesn't, still, I'm not going to say I'm not pissed off at you every day. I'm like, we should be doing this. It's so natural. People think what we do, talking a lot, people who think that what we do, talking like this, is like anybody can do it. Not true. Well, it's a I very difficult say, thing to do, too. I just want to say, I don't really care um, that you 
you still you think I'm uh um you're mad at me or whatever. As long as as long as you think I'm right. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't, I don't think you're, kombucha, right? Yeah, I don't think you're right. You I and I are right to quantum mirrored existence. A lot of times, people wouldn't relate, and that's again like, why doesn't he see that? Why doesn't he know it? It's weird. It's a weird chemistry that I have with nobody and I right. dude I hate to fall and I hate to say that I hate to because I was doing the same thing with like I like I was like you know I hate to blow pot you know pot smoke up your ass weed man but I literally think I'm starstruck I'm literally intimidated by you like I'm I'm fucking scared right now like he dude he I, fought the law five times he went to jury five times he defended himself five could have went away for 10 years and he's like you know what no I'm gonna stand up here and talk to this jury and get myself out of this charge I would have been yeah. crying. I would have been cowering. I would have been in yeah, jail. His, his experience, too, is probably, you know, part of that. He, the fact that, you know, he, he said he's a Rastafarian, Jamaican, or what? Well, that, the, 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 the so I don't know what it's called, because the woman kept saying to us, it's a 401C, it's, it's some sort of uh, religious loophole that they're using to create the uh, sanctuary, so it's protected because... Oh, yeah, those are, um, you know... Uh, I wish I knew those. I hate when I do the show no, and then I don't have are, my shit to get. Well, those are like legal statuses, like nonprofits and stuff, 501. Right, and, right. So it's, it's similar it's to what the church of is. The fact that you mentioned a, a, a quick side diversion, because you're talking about vaping and everything else and CBD and THC, which I thought was, you know, Dolby sound, surround sound, but all these different things. I was watching this documentary um, where. There's a frog, I can't think of the name, Buma, Bulav, something. El fluido extraído de las glándulas parótides del bufo alvarius es secado y al momento de, de secarse, esa es la materia prima que utilizamos como medicina. La bufotenina, extraída de las glándulas del sapo, no es una sustancia tan potente, pero cuando hay combustión su estructura química cambia y se convierte en 5-MeO-DMT. Y la manera de la, de la extracción que es sin causarle ningún daño al bufo alvarius. Entonces, esta es la medicina, eh, pero si te, si te das cuenta, no sufre ningún, ningún daño. It's a, it's a frog that has, like, they look like little warts, pus holes, and you squeeze them, and it, it, it doesn't, but it looks like you're popping a zit on the frog. And the secretion from the frog, it's, it's D DMT, basically. DMT, DMT. This is the thing that Joe it's Rogan talks about all super, the time. I didn't say I didn't know that, but it, it's a super. Got to watch good shows, man. Got to watch good shows. Got to watch the, the masters. Oh, I, on, I, I did see, I did see, I did see uh, at least a clip of that. Uh, now that I know about it. Yeah, DMT. Well, oh, Mike Tyson does DMT. Now. Yeah, but see, this guy was. A, anyway, people were traveling to this frog because this, the. This DMT from the frog, it's so psychedelic, you know, it's so hallucinogenic. And I, I was so mesmerized by this because it's not legal in the United States. A lot of these places have banned it. Um, but uh, uh, you can go to Brazil, et cetera, and you can go to certain churches. Like there's a couple of churches in the United States that have a special, probably a 401C, where they can use this. DMT, etc., as part of their religious rituals, and I was like, "Oh, I want to go do that," because the way that people were describing it, and and all of these their experiences, it's like 
everybody was like, you feel love. And it, it, it was like being, it was like dying and then being reborn. And on that, which sounds like some psychedelic hippie stuff, right? But what scientists have been, I've connected these two things. What scientists have been saying, the, the human brain has essentially DMT in, in the brain, but it never is activated unless it's some very fearful situation, you're in severe pain, you're in distress. When you're on the verge of death, right? I mean, exactly. And so the way that they describe it is, you, you know, and people talk about bright lights and everything when they die. Some people think maybe all of those chemicals are kicking into their brain and, and you're seeing all these different things. And other people are, you know, saying it, it's a religious experience and then they come back to life, et cetera. But I go, I want that. You know, I want that. I want to see what that feels like. So I texted a, I texted a friend of mine who's, who's, who's like, she's like a known, she knows all that good drugs and everything else. And I, I don't do drugs, anything. I've done like weed a couple of times in my life. And so I go, and she, one of the things she does is she searches for mushrooms. She goes on mushrooms, not, not to smoke them or anything, but she, she is all about that stuff. So I said, have you ever found any psychedelic mushrooms? And she's, and I asked her all these questions. And she's like, why are you asking me these questions? I'm like, well, I saw this documentary. And so I'm like, I sort of, I want to see what that psychedelic hallucinogenic experience is about. I want to do it once. And I can't go to wherever these frogs are, but maybe I could go visit one of these little religious retreats where it's legal and, and sample it. Because I'm just a curious person. But so all those things you were saying just reminded me of that. And that, that was the only diversion. I'm, I want to experience it at least once as part of my understanding of how things work. And that's interesting. And on that note, I want to run and get my vape pen from the, and I'll come back and I'll answer. I'll, so just take a quick vape break. Hold on. We are now breaking on WCRJ 95. Coming up on the hour, we have Stone Temple Pilots for you 90s fans. A tip of the hat to the front man. And this hour is sponsored by Vape Socks. So what scares me a little bit, is this thing pops and snaps a little bit? I'm like, is this thing going to explode in my face? Oh, so again, uh, a jewel, right? A jewel? Yeah, a jewel, yeah, yeah. See, I, I have a jewel. I got jewel, then I upgraded to this. So, yeah. again... Uh, I would tell you that this happened because my whole family started to vape. So I was like, I want to, you know, like you're going to be spending money on vape and I'm doing it. So they got me this for New Year's Eve. And I would say, I would, I would say that I've always wanted to be a smoker. I always thought it was cool. Could never smoke, could never inhale. Uh, so now this is something I can do, but I don't know if it does anything. But yours is cool. cool. Yours is maroon. I didn't even know. I guess they started that in 2019. They were all black, the jewel. Oh, yeah, you like that, huh? So that's see, yeah. oh, and I, that's cool. Huh? I got a red jewel. No, I got. I, I get, I get confused. Like, what's a jewel and what's a pot? I'm, a, I'm a newbie. Same with pot. I don't know anything. Like, I don't. Well, the pot. You know, this is a man walking around talking about THC and, and UCB, which is 
the common oh yeah upright upright citizens brigade which is a right it's where um where a lot of uh, i believe i'm not i want to say it was i don't know if did tina fey come out of there too tina fey uh, i almost no well maybe but they're they're from second city yeah i mean at least least they maybe they've gone through ucb but i think their you know their their passage was through second city (laughs) hey max we stop having friendlies on the way home i got a wicked craving for a fribble jesus christ Debbie! you just said 10 pieces of cheese at hickory farms ma you're gonna give me a negative body image all right seriously seven out of ten teenage girls have a negative body image yeah well six of them girls are right A lot of famous people have come through US, UCB just recently. I, I, I now all their names are escaping me, so I, I'm not yeah. sure. But yeah. sounds like a comedy university. Where'd you graduate from? Uh, it's, it's, uh, UCB is an improv school, and I suggest that if people are into any kind of want to do something creative, it's a really good system. It's called the Harold. But anyways, but if you're into that, check it out. I don't want to. It's something. It costs money, obviously. And you take classes you need- and you do improv. You do need to know this. The tip of your jewel, that is the pod where you put your juice in. Right, 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 yeah, yeah. The whole thing is, some people call them vape pens, uh, yada, yada, yada. We're, we're an educational yeah. show. I mean, and again, I, I don't know if it does anything. I think it's really cool. I've always wanted to smoke. When I used to play mm-hmm. poker, I'd always want to just have a cigarette in my mm-hmm. um, uh, mouth like uh, Sammy. Oh my God, I'm going to forget his name. There's a famous uh, poker player that would always carry an unlit cigarette in his mouth. Sam Farha is still breathing, so. I always liked Clint Eastwood. I always liked the idea of smoking for all the wrong reasons that yeah. they worry about kids. All the reasons why they worry about kids liking smoking, that's why I like smoking. Yeah, it, 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 uh, well, then, they, they created that cool image, so it's, it seems cool, right? It, it, if, if someone just was walking around with a shoe in their mouth, people would go, what the hell's wrong with this guy? <laughs> Right. But it's if embarrassing walking, that I, I, rem, yeah. I remember buying Tipperillos and doing whatever I could to look like Clint Eastwood. And I just couldn't, I didn't like, I didn't like the smoke. So the this smells like, yeah. A, yeah, I don't know what flavor this is, mm-hmm. but I can only compare it to, so people can relate. It's like cotton candy. So it's inhaling cotton candy. So I was like, it's right now, it's right down my alley. Yeah. Can I inhale cotton candy? Sure. I'll, I'm on board. Well, the difference between what you're smoking is because it has the, the nicotine salts like, like mine. And the the first um, vape pens, if you want to call them, I, I don't know if they call. I, I I forget what you call them, but the the nicotine in those are different. Like the the vapor that comes out is different. The what you're smoking is more for smokers, more for people who want the true smoking experience, and for people who are trying to quit smoking, because the earlier versions, the salt is not nicotine salt, so. You're, you're smoking the right one to get that sort of authentic feel and, and draw and everything else. And, okay, and so all the latest rage. I don't know if we've, um, again, you know, done anything comical with this stuff. But so I, except that I wanted to be Clint Eastwood and I wanted to do the voice and I wanted, you know, so I, that was definitely always like, that'll, that'll be cool, even though I'm not that person inside. But the next step, too, besides THC and vaping that I'm learning about, which I don't know if I can dabble in, is tinctures, right? So these, these people make tinctures where they put THC into alcohol and let it rest, and then they're taking, like, drops of it. And you can, uh, with CBD tinctures, you can give it to your dog if uh, it's having uh, stress-related conditions. Mm. So, yeah, they give CBD to their dogs. I mean, you learn so much when you go yeah. to these right. 
places and you're just like, what, what? And, and again, with, with THC, it would be a journey. Like you said, with DMT and THC, you, uh, with THC particularly, you've got to find the strain that works for you. And I've <clears throat> smoked pot throughout my life and had many different reactions. So um, I was saying that, you know, in, when I was in college, uh, yeah, that's right. When I was in college, I went to a party, an uh, off-campus party with my girlfriend at the time. I don't know anybody there except for my girlfriend. You know, she's, she's gone away to school. Maybe there's stress involved. And I, and I smoked weed, which I barely ever did, and I drank. And I ended up getting into a fight <clears throat> with a kid because he was trying to leave with the extra pizza that I felt like wasn't his. So I don't know if I can blame the crossfade. I don't know if I'm blame. I don't know if I can blame the alcohol or the weed, but after I fight this kid, literally I split his lip. He breaks my chain. We knock over a boom box. And then I'm in the basement of the place crying. I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I fought that guy for the pizza. I don't know what I and like. So you're going through all, you know, these, these all do have real effects. And I would assume that, you know, it isn't good to crossfade sometimes. You might, you might heighten your depression or you might heighten action. So you're, you're constantly chasing, you know, this medicinal property that may or may not work for you. I've heard so many different stories of people's reactions of smoking pot. I, I, know, I know one of my ex-girlfriends smoked pot and then she felt like she had bugs all over her and she like ruined everybody's good time at this, at this place where they were. They went away to like some house for the weekend and she smokes up and she's freaking out. She was, she's like my first girlfriend and you know, she ruins the whole vibe of the place and I've I've had girls, you know, break up with me in the middle of smoking with them. Mm -hmm. Like, they'll be smoking and they'll be like, dude, we need to break up. And I'm like, what? What is going Wait, what is this weed smoker's breaking up with me in the middle of just this conversation? He's like, yeah, don't call me. Don't text me. I'm like, what is, what is happening here? How, <laughs> is it the weed is talking right now? Like, you would break the up with me? The vocal fry. Yeah, did, yeah. Did, did, did she sound like that? Did she have that vocal fry? Yeah. You know, she, yeah. You know she's trying to hold it. Like, they, they talk to you while they're holding their right, professional. Right. Yeah, let me tell you something. They're trying to hold in their lungs. And talk. It's the best. It's the coolest thing when you see someone do that. Like, oh, this guy well, is really yeah, trying. He's a professional pot smoker, man. He's no my, joke. My, I don't want to. I have a good friend who I've known her for for decades, and I was, and I'm still friends with her today. But I, she's a college friend, and I just was so attracted to her. She was just so cool, and you know, she had this long black hair and cool boots and everything else, and and she was into you know, weed and all that kind of stuff. And then we, I went to a party with her. And one day she had one of those, and I, I sound like a 12-year-old, but one of those pipes, you know, that you blow the thing in. The bong. The bong, thank you. you know, I'm really not cool. And yeah, so you, sound, was, you, you sounded like a dad right there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, turn down, turn down your music and get out of my yard. Uh, and so, but I was at the party. Two dads talking. Two dads talking hot talk. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, 253-year-old men I'm trying to be up, but I'm, I'm taking yeah. stuff out the pipe. And, uh, <laughs> right. and I was like, you shouldn't do that. That's going to I make got you my work, work pants out, and I'm going to work with this pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bong. And I would just say to you, for, just to stop your story, I, the only time that I've truly getting, gotten really high is through yeah. bong rips. I've never, I've never gotten high through a joint. It had to be because of smoothness. You can take much more into your lungs. So the times that I've really been high... Might have been once or twice in my whole yeah. life, really super high, yeah. and a, a good high was from bongs, <laughs> bong rips. So, so go on. You've gone from knowing what the hell a bong rip is to I don't know what the difference is with the pod and the vape and the pod vape and the vape. 
So, but, but I think again, that's all material that I should work on because my awkwardness is always there. I look like this lose. person, but yeah. it's, it's my internal dialogue is a mess, constantly in the, a mess. And yeah. if I could just, if I could just get that on paper and then bring it to the stage, it works. But this is me every day of my yeah. life. But I don't. So that's why I'm like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think you know, there's you know, lemon and to, to eliminate I, I, you, what you have, all that energy. It, it really is a gift. It's just you haven't yet figured out how to unwrap it. And if you put all of that into your your comedy, not even if you're you know you're not trying to get famous, you're not trying to go long term, but that's where it's supposed to go. It's supposed to because everything you say, which is filled with anxiety and self doubt and all these things, it's universal. My my comedy from the beginning. I grew up. I was a real introvert. Uh, you know, I had uh, anxiety and, and panic attacks. I was like, I had no social skills whatsoever. So anytime I got on stage, and the fact that I even ever stood on a stage sure. when I couldn't be in front of, you know, even at the bus stop waiting to go to school, I was I was panicking. It was like mm. torture. Um, so it's like every single opportunity I'd, I'd have to get up there, I I'd want to commit everything I had because I loved it. I hated being off stage. I was more scared in life than I was of how I felt on stage. And I think that's permeated my entire career of like, I got to take full advantage of this while I can be out here and feeling this, the, the, the bravado that comes with standing on stage. And so you no, I, you're trying to, you're trying to relate it. to people. I get that, but I'm just saying it, it, I, I do agree with you, but you have to, you have to be able to take this, this stuff, this product in your head, yeah. then write it out and then present it. And that it's, it's a, it's like a, a supply chain. There was actually, yeah. there was a your kid problem. who was doing, it's I was supply just chain that my supply chain is completely screwed up. I can't get the product out from here to the page, to the market. I need to hire somebody. I need to hire this kid last night that was uh, from Rutgers university. His name was Akash Anand. And he was a ch supply chain manager. And I was like, I, I was like, Oh dude, is that coding? Like I totally stereotyped him. He's an Indian kid. Oh, you must be coding. He's like, no, no, it's supply chain. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm a racist. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So yeah, I was like, well, there goes my, there goes my Indian voice bit. I was like, I better not do that. Tonight, which I'm never going to do it. I'm not going to yeah. do my, I'm not ever doing my Indian voice bit. I like, I'm going to put that to rest. I did it. I'm one of the podcasts here. Now I know I'm not allowed to do my Indian voice bit, but, um, but I didn't do it. He made me think of it when he was there. Um, but yeah, uh, so, so the not, problem is that's, so that's the problem. That's not racist. That's uh, that's observation. Racist. I don't know. If you're going to be a racist Indian, we're in like, a weird. Oh, we're, oh, in a weird oh. we're, we're in a weird area though now. If like I do the voice of an Indian guy, if I do that voice that people do, they're like that's racist. So you, no, we're heading towards where that comedy gets weird. That's, you know. That's why you do it because. You need to counter any extreme. The reason everything is so politically correct now was because everything was so uh, uh, politically correct. And so anything you say now is like, oh, my gosh, so we're now so oversensitive. I, I think everybody feels it now because you have good people going, I don't know what to say. Uh, I don't know what to do. And I go, are you a good person or not? Right. But now we're all tiptoeing with the safe spaces, and it's tough being a white guy, uh, 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 you know, not, not you, me. No, it's tough being a white guy because you're, you're considered the source of all things evil, right? So a lot of comics have it easier who aren't 
people of non-color. It's so funny. It's so funny because I did a bit thing. about you know I told you I had a bit about my mom calling my dad a Nazi bastard, right? Mm-hmm. This is funny after the show. So I did the whole bit about my mom calling my dad a Nazi. I, the, the premise is no, you could say nothing to offend me as a white guy. I'm not going to be triggered or get upset. So you can call me any name in the book. I go, my mom tried it with my dad. She used to call him a Nazi bastard. And there's this whole bit that I do after it, right? Stuart is um, of German heritage for those who... Yeah, because yeah, my, my father's German. My last name is really Stuck. So it was a Stuck. It was a U with an omelet over it. So it was, when we came right. over, my dad family came over, they changed it to Stuck. So anyway, this one girl goes to me jokingly. She's like, so you're not really a Nazi, are you? <laughs> are you not really a Nazi? And I stupidly say back to her, I'm like, fighting that DNA every day. Instead of just saying, <laughs> I'm not a Nazi, I go fighting that so you're DNA not, every day. Uh, but, and we were you're Nazis. Not a we were not Nazi, are you? Yeah, no, uh, you know, I, I just was like, so caught Instead of just being like, no, of course, I'm sort of making a joke about it. I made it like deep and serious, like I'm fighting that DNA every day. Like, no, I, she said, no, I'm totally not a Nazi. Did you not miss the date? The, the I don't think I would be here. Right. I don't know if yeah. Nazis are crossing over to uh, break into the weed industry and, uh, and uh, the diversity issue. I think, you know, I, again, it was just, yeah. it was just really funny that you hear things like that, that after the show. And I wish I had engaged her more because it could have, it could have extended a bit. But again, I think I was like, so when she said it, I was like, I don't know why I ran away. I should have stayed right there in the yeah. moment. And I, I, sometimes I get like that. After the show, it was weird. We were going, normally when you do a show, you're, you're waiting for adulation. But I was going over to each comic, making sure they were okay. And, you know, making sure yeah, Ed was see. okay with the show. And I was just like, checking on everybody. I've changed a little bit. I was trying not to be a dick where I thought, you know, this is really a progressive, pot-smoking, cool people. And I really need to 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 get on this level, man, because I'm not going to be able to do it with the, the weed. So I need to do it internally. I really need to be a better person, you know? So that was the goal last night. And like I said, I think it affected my act. I didn't go into the audience. I wasn't really hosting, you know? And on that note, I came home last night and I was watching lots of stand up on Pluto TV on my fire stick. And my old roommate, Joe Matteris was on Gotham Live. This is when I found out my dad had anxiety too. We took a cruise together, which I don't recommend. Don't do that. We take a cruise together, and uh, my dad, we pulled away from Fort Lauderdale. He's looking out the porthole, and he's just going. <sighs> I'm like, what's going on, Dad? He's like, I don't know. I think I'm having one of my anxiety attacks. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I've had an anxiety problem most of my life. I'm like, oh, thanks for telling me now. I thought it was a freak of nature for 40 years. I go, Dad, why would you not tell me about your anxiety problem? This is what he says. He goes, I thought it might have skipped a generation. I go, this isn't fucking Teen Wolf. <laughs> I'm Joe Matteris. He did a set, and I wanted to contact him because he's so good at hosting. He's so good yeah. at going to the audience. His material is like, okay, it's not outstanding, but when he goes into the audience, he's so real and so funny, and it's his biggest strength, and I feel like he doesn't use it. And I was like, I'm going to contact him. And I was like, nah, I better not. That's weird. But I, that's what I feel like I hold back on people. I feel like, you know, like, if you can contact them and tell someone like, hey, you know what you're really good at and you should focus on? But he might be like, dude, no, I, I like doing stand-up. I don't want to do it that way. He has a podcast. He was my roommate for a year. We didn't really hit it off. We had completely different viewpoints vibe. on life and everything. Yeah, vibe, just a total different vibe. Um, but it's funny to see him still out there. He, he got bounced off um, America's Got Talent. He, he, he made it through a little bit. His name is Joe Matteris. But I watched him last night. I was like, ah, should I contact this dude and say, dude, you're – you're great at hosting. You're great when you go in the audience. Your material, eh, when you go into the, yeah, wow. So, but I, but I, I don't know, maybe, maybe today I will contact him. I feel like, oh, I got to contact these people and see. He has a podcast. Maybe we should go on there and, 
and talk about what it was like to be roommates when yeah. we because it was it was rough, man. It was all, 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 you know all of that energy that we talked about where where you know it's, you're all over the place and everything else. Again, that's that doesn't seem to be the problem because using that would 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 be an asset. So y- y- your problem isn't bad energy. Your problem is that you're a bad writer. <laughs> Well, I, but I feel the same. I mean, it's I feel like job, I'm a bad writer. You need, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you need to put that, you just need to take all of that gift. It's yeah, gift. and I probably wouldn't even be able to say it right without offending him. And, I, you know, I think about last night, I'm like, why didn't I stay in that moment when that girl, when she was like, you're not really a Nazi. Man, that was like a perfect moment yeah. to stay in there and write this dialogue down between this person who still thinks, I just did 40 minutes of comedy or whatever, or I don't know how long I was on stage, and she's still questioning whether I'm a Nazi or not. Now, maybe she was joking, but it would have been yeah. really great to, to go okay. further with that. You got to send. I'm I'm of the 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 wide comic belief um, that that that's your sanctuary. People are paying to go to your sanctuary, and it's the sanctuary's rules, right? It's a four hole one fee, and so you go there, you know how it works, okay? And so you can't cater to the people outside of that sanctuary. And there's nothing offensive. It's different from like Kramer, who goes out and is like fighting with the person in the audience and he's saying the N-word. That's not, he's not doing comedy. He's an angry man reacting in a horrible way. But if someone's offended in the audience, well, okay, you know this is not your style or you, you don't like comedy or whatever, but I don't think comics should adjust to the rules outside of that sanctuary. And so that's, and I think most comics believe that, and I'm of that mind. Um, you don't have to be offensive, but if you offend someone, who cares? You know, this is this, this is the rules of our house. I don't know. I feel like house. more like it's a, to me, comedy to me is more like Bruce Lee. You know, you have to be water. You have to form. You have to shift. Sometimes you have to shape shift and, and get into the mode you're supposed to be in. And I was trying you're, to do that because it was a little bit out of my comfort zone. I know how right? to be a professional dick from the stage. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to try to to bend a little bit. I want to try to be uh, more present and not, not make this all about me. And I still think I felt like I did, but I think the other interesting part is that I wanted to ask you so you can pontificate on this is, you know, I had never been to a sanctuary. I had never been to a place like this. I didn't know what the rules were. I didn't know how, what my rule of conduct was. I didn't know what kind of vibe I was going to get. I didn't know what kind of audience I was going to get. I didn't know how Ed was going to be. There was so many dynamics going on. That's why I did it. That's why it intrigued me. If it yeah. had been just a regular gig, I probably would have bailed. But I was like, I was jacked. I was like, and I don't get jacked about stand-up. I was like, I want to go down there and meet this guy. I want to see this joint, Weed Man's joint. I want, this is, this is, this is like comedy gold. Like this, 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 this is an unbelievable night to go to. And then everything about it was great. I can't say anything. The only weird part about it is, again, if you want to know what, what thin line uh, and why comedy is so hard for me is the most, so the only, I got paid a hundred bucks to do this, which was like, I would have done it for free. I wouldn't even care. hundred bucks doesn't mean Jack. Right. But to, that I was going to pay the hundred bucks. It, 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 it adds to the pot. So the hardest part of that night was getting that money because I don't think Ed remembers that he's supposed to pay me. I don't know who I'm supposed to go through. I don't want to be rude. And it's always this, when you perform, getting your money is always the weirdest part and the part that I really don't like. I'd rather just have a manager like, dude, did that check come in? Like, I'd rather just, you know, have somebody yeah. else deal with this. But I had to corner him at some point and be like, hey, you know, um, 
you know, Mark Marklin said, I'd get paid a hundred bucks for this. And he was like, Oh, I didn't know, man. He's like banging his head on the wall. Like, Oh, I had no idea. He's like, all right, man, that's cool. And he brings it out and he hands it to me. And I, and I walk out, I'm like, all right. Yeah. But that was stressful. And like, I don't know, maybe you have to be able to get off on that. Like, Hey, I'm getting my fucking money. This is it. But for me, I, st- I stayed an extra hour because I was so intimidated by the task as a 53 year old comic to go and get my money. So again, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, there are people, it might be hard for people to understand the ability to do jokes in front of people anywhere for any size crowd, but not be able to walk up to the guy who owes you money for that, what you just did and say, hey, uh, we need to square up. I had to wait an hour to like, get, my, get my gumption up. You got the gumption. To corner him and be like, ah, you know, we need to settle up and get my money. And he's yeah. like, all right, dude. And I was like, Psh. and I got my money. I was like, Psh. So. Yeah, I love gumption with the uh, onions and tomatoes. Yeah, sauce. you hate and when it, I use my vocabulary. Like, oh, that guy's got some I vocabulary. Make, it's a, it's a, it's a backwards compliment because you, you, you portray yourself, or for lack of a better as phrase, a, as the dumb as, jock. I, I'm the just dumb a dumb jock. jock. I'm, I'm the dumb jock trying to, to better himself. I, so always, I, always, always. I'm playing into that as a, as a, as a reverse compliment that, that you, you are extremely intelligent. And I will tell you, I bet you if I went back to all my high school friends, they'd be like, yeah, still dumb jocks. And they were like, they were all my high school oh, friends were okay. all, I was hanging out with more elevated people. Everybody that I hung out with, my ex-girlfriend was like honors classes. And, and I, my, my friends were all in like, you know, student council and going to great schools. And I was the dude who was going to stay home and go to community college. And, uh, End up becoming a security guard. I mean, I'm there. Right? It's all it's all par for the course. If they saw me, they'd be like, "Ah, security guard. Hey, you never made it doing stand up. Ah, hey, we didn't think it was gonna happen for you. We, we could have knew you didn't have the full skill set for that." Yeah. But they never knew. They never knew that I was struggling with all sorts of mental issues. You know, what I'm saying they have no, they had no clue. A couple maybe did, but you know, not not too many of them. Yeah, mental issues just rampant in my family. I don't want to out anybody from my family, but mom and dad. And my dad has anxiety too. It's like it's gone through the whole family, right? <laughs> but my dad never told me about his anxiety because my dad's 70. Old people didn't grow up in the time of letting their kids know about their, their quirks and dysfunctions, right? That's bullshit. That's not the way to raise kids. Like I said, I have a five-year-old and I have an 11-month-old daughter, okay? I let them both know every day. I do. In the morning, right? Before school, I'm like, listen, your dad's got mental problems. <laughs> There's a good chance you might have some mental problems. I'll be driving my five-year-old to kindergarten. I'm like, hey, just wanted to let you know you might feel the walls closing in at some point today. Everybody's everybody's parents are nuts um, in some form or not. But you mentioned community colleges, and that reminded me of the, the Harvard scandal or the academic, the college admission scandal. I've actually finished like seven Nope, that's like 10 TV shows in the last like yeah. six months. Uh-huh, isn't that nice? Glad, <laughs> glad we're paying for that education. So you Forget can homework. You can watch TV and not do your homework. Another actress, Desperate Housewives Felicity Huffman, is also charged. She's accused of paying $15,000 to get one of their daughter's SAT scores boosted with help from the same fake charity. I want to model for my daughters being having a woman uh, being a woman of agency having a voice in the world mm-hmm. and you know that means having influence and having power and to tell you the truth having having money and in a tweet just last year Lori Lachlan wrote 
There are more important things than money, like doing the right thing, words to live by. And to me, to Great me, topic. I'm, I, I have to say this because, first of all, I, community colleges are great, and it ties into, because the first two years of any college experience. Bullshit. It's, it's total like bullshit. Those first Four two, courses. I swear to God, I don't remember going to class. I, I don't remember. I remember my friends and the parties they went to. I don't remember, like, sitting in class and, like, okay, yep, yep. Very few moments. And that is surprising to me. It's sort of comments on. Okay, so the, I got a great, I got a couple stuff. great stories for you that I got to jump in. And One is I, I cheated my way through high school and it wasn't community college I went to. I went to a local two-year uh, religious. So I call it community college because people can relate. But it was a very small, smaller than my high school college called uh, Dominican College. But that's not important. What's important to the story is I cheated my I way went to through Christian middle school. Yeah. I went to uh, – I cheated my way through a physics class with a very upscale, rich kid who – and I will not out him because I'm sure he has a career now. And this kid – I did not do this. He was a friend of mine. Again, I don't know why. I think he was, I don't want to tell how we were related, but we were, how we knew each other. He broke into the physics teacher's classroom, into his back room. He got all his physics labs, and we copied every one of those physics labs and then handed them in as if they were our own. So I completely cheated through the, for the physics labs. I did take the test on my own, the physics region. I don't want to out him, but his name rhymes with Lark Muckerberg. I wish, yeah. I, I, but I would out him, and he is a wealthy family. So, but getting back to the topic, I don't want to get off topic. But I just think it's a great story that again, people. And so, I'm not that smart. I had to cheat through different courses. I cheated in, in at Dominican College. We some some math courses. We always ended up getting the tests. I don't know how somebody was getting the test, and we would take we would cheat off that. So I cheated through Dominican College. So I'm just I. My thing is I, what we said is like I always should be as honest as I can. Like it's not going to affect my career. But the thing about this scandal is two things, right? One is, it's not shocking. Everybody knows. Everybody knows yeah. that this happens all the time. Number, number two is, you want to shock me? Put somebody in jail. If that dude goes to jail, great. You know, like, but no one's going to jail. He's getting out in the six months to a year. It's not a scandal. It's going to continue to happen. It's never going to stop. And, and, the way and here's the, the thing. Works. People are talking about the two actresses, right? You know, for, 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 for Felicia, whatever. Yeah, I don't even uh, know who they are. Yeah, and the, and the lady. I mean, no, no offense to them. I don't know who Lori Lawson is. I don't know who Aunt, she is. Aunt Becky, Aunt Becky was the, the, the mother from Full House. But they keep focusing on those names. But it, it, it was a network of people. And, and this was a small sampling of these schools, right? It's going all over the place. And all these other schools. And this is the real definition of Illuminati. Okay, this is what people really mean by the the Illuminati without them really. Yeah, that real term is it. not that term is not a good term. It's the worst term. Illuminati term is the worst. It's a it, that puts it in a realm of conspiracy theory and you know or the devil way, worship or it's like exactly. devil worship or it's a otherworldly powers. <laughs> it's the Middle Earth. Way, it's it's rich people I, scamming the system all the time, running the whole board, man, doing whatever the fuck they want and paying no consequences. That. It's that surprise they don't come in here and raid my house. <laughs> it's that, it's, Take me it's away that, to Zuckerberg's that, compound. But it, it's that old philosophy of the best way to hide the truth is in between two lies, because then people discount it all together. But that is sort of the Illuminati. That's what really pe people mean, that it's a secret, hidden world 
where people manipulate things and do things to further their own people. And so everyone, no one else has access to that. You know, you, people can, you can call it the 1% or whatever, but that's how people, they will use that money to further it. And, and, and you also have these people, they were talking about the, the legacy students. Just because you're the son of or daughter of someone famous or someone who's already gone to these schools, you, you get a free pass to go, no matter how much of an idiot. So, and then they leave with a Harvard degree, and all that does is further that Illuminati, right? And people can't enter it. And then you got other people, oh, uh, affirmative action is ruining these schools and all these people complaining <laughs> because they know and they can't always articulate it that they have a disadvantage to people who have all the advantages. So to see someone who already had all this, this access, uh, you know, you're rich and you're famous and you have a fucking idiot kid, you know, they should struggle at least to get into these schools, right? So it's it's really infuriating. It's not about ooh celebrity. It's it's about that bigger sort of sort of thing, and and this ties into all these ideas of you know, like free free college education. It's less of a monetary issue. It's more about giving people access to education to make the entire country better, right? And to sort of counter this Illuminati, right? So I don't, I, I don't know. It's just, the best part about that, though, Curtis, is like using the term Illuminati just brings out like you're going to get a lot of fans after that. You're going to get a lot of those crazy people who talk about Illuminati all the time and they, they take yeah. it into the other weird area and you're like, no, dude, that's not yeah. really the way. I'm talking about basically people. the rich just running the whole board and I, we don't know how we're going to. Yeah, but what about? Then they start bringing up other stuff and you're like, no, not so much no, that. No. But yeah. you'll, be, you'll get a lot of followers. You'll get a lot of crazy I, people. I hate who, people who we got a group, Curtis. Come right? on down. We got a group. We're going we're gonna to break yeah. the system. You know? Yeah, you know how you break the system? Go find good candidates who are super progressive, who want unions, that's your only shot in hell. Not a very good chance. Not a very good chance it's going to happen. Get on the Bernie Sanders bed and I'll do whatever I can to help you to, to get back with Bernie. Yeah. He's our only chance. There's, there's no other candidate there that's going to do the job. We're going to go back to the same. If you're afraid of the Illuminati, get with Bernie Sanders and try to calm down the Illuminati talk. Try to, try to come in and try to, if you can get yourself back to being a progressive and get away from this crazy Illuminati and start to organize locally, it's so important to be in unions and to organize and try to keep, uh, I don't know how to say it without, you know, lack of better words, but the crazy shit's got to be toned down just a little bit, man. Let's, let's just try yeah. to focus on the organization, the un some of the general principles of what might break this system, yeah. which is unions, unions and, and voting and, and Bernie candidates just, in. Yeah, Bernie just unionized his organization. Yes, yeah. yes, man. But it's it, a big story. You're doing a lot of union stuff, but I, I'll let you get into that. But that's, people tune out when you start talking about, you know, we need to, you know, uh, uh, weekend the banks and the pharmaceutical company and free college education. People tune out. If if you can communicate to them in a way that, um, like the Illuminati, that's what that really is. It's that secret backdoor, backroom deals where money is just flowing from one person who's an Illuminati member to another uh, Illuminati organization who are sort of controlling things and furthering their own interests that have zero... In you know, we we don't need any of the structure the way it is. You know, the the way the pharmaceutical industry. We know this because all these other countries who are doing it in a completely different way. We just do it because we do it. It's a capitalistic society. It's an Illuminati society, right? That's that's what it really is. So, 
I, I, and I only want to ever speak to people who are intelligent and critical and rational enough to understand it, you know, but it also will appeal to people who are sort of clueless. <laughs> if you go, don't you understand all of this stuff that Bernie's talking about <clears throat> excuse me. Is, is, is what you perceive as the Illuminati. So you want to get behind him to shut that shit down. I like but Bernie, I, I like Tulsi, and, and I haven't but, looked at but all the but other... Let's go, but, but let's go full circle on this, because you, cause we started the show about like why we're back together again and why we're doing this. And the truth of it really was that we clicked comically, but then we clicked with Bernie. We were like, yeah, we totally get Bernie is the answer. This is the way we're going. Okay, so let's just leave that there. That's where we're really connected, because we know, okay, then what, we know everything that we agree on. I compare it to when people go to Vegas. When you go to Vegas... You know exactly what the deal is. You're not confused. You know what Vegas is all about. You know what Bernie is. He's 40 years progressive, always been ahead of the curve, always tried to have integrity and do the right thing. Yes, he has flaws. Yes, he's made some bad policy. Yes, yes. But he's still the best answer. And today he's still the best answer. <laughs> Beto, is not, Beto is not the answer. Kamala's not the answer. I hate, um, Beto. I hate Kamala. I hate Elizabeth Warren. And look, this, but this is when it's going to get painful. Tulsi does not have, Corey again, I use, I, use the, I, don't, I use the word gravitas. Tulsi's just not going to have whatever Bernie had. He was able to just rise from the ranks. And again, he's doing it. To, I'm really impressed because I, before I, like I had Tulsi. stuff to I, I had stuff to talk about with Bernie before. Like I was saying, Bernie's not doing this right. He's, he's giving the same speech. Every time he goes somewhere, he's doing the same damn speech. It's not going to work. You've got to go to each state and say, here's what's wrong with your state. This is what you guys need to focus on here. Yeah. You know, he goes to Iowa and he goes, you know, we, it's corporate farming that's fucking things up here. Look into it. You know, when he, when he was in New York, New York City, he's like, let me make a differential between me and Trump. He's trying to like... Make these speech interesting. You're going against a master gaslighter, con man. This guy right. is, a, again, and I, I Trump, use it a Trump weird is, extreme. Trump, he's brilliant. Trump is brilliant at what he does. Exactly. And people don't want to give him credit Period. for that. And that's a big, that's a big like mistake. It, but he, it's a big he mistake. Is, he, he's he not in a position John, he's in because he's stupid. He's he knows how to manipulate. Politics. He's, he's a Tyson right. in the ring. He, no so, one does what he does better, and it confuses the simple mind. And I, you know, people are going to be upset when I say, you know, Tulsi's not the answer. She just, she's not going to have the, the weight. And, uh, but I like whether Tulsi, if she's Bernie, great, she's great, but she's not going to, but what about a Bernie not, Tulsi ticket? That's fine. But she's not going to out talk Bernie what? and she's not going to out, uh, uh, there's not going to be more momentum for Tulsi. The only person who has any chance, any chance, and I'm still to this day say, I don't know if Bernie can beat Trump. I don't know. It's going to be yeah. razor. I believe it's going to be razor thin. If he became, if they allow him to become the candidate, which I don't think they will either. Right. I still think they're going to steal it from him. I have all those fears. But the problem is, is when you go out and talk to these they're people. They're all about Kamala. Men, but people, so many people are jaded. So it's going to be so hard to bring back the same momentum. So the other thing I want to talk about is, so I went to the, um, his first opening speech in Brooklyn. And I don't know if we talked about this or texted. To me, the first event in Brooklyn, and I don't want to be, I want to be careful how I term this. It was a bit disturbing. I was a little bit. No, don't be careful. Discouraged. I was, no, but I was a little discouraged. No, I'm just trying to get the right words. I was a little discouraged in the turnout. I thought in his backyard, even though the weather was bad, it was rainy and snowy and cold. I thought it should have been a sellout. I thought, it sh I thought it felt like it should have been like, oh my God, there's way too many people here. It wasn't. There was space in the place where they put the rally and the gates to uh, control the crowd, there was plenty of space. 
nobody was like, oh, I might die here. This could get really bad. You know, like this could become a bad situation. There wasn't yep. people outside trying to get in. There wasn't people in the trees. Now, the weather was bad. Speech was great. Nina Turner stole the show. She, she definitely had a lot more energy and a great speech. Check it out. All over, can you raise your hands? With these hands, we're going to transform this country in a way that they've never seen before. With these hands, we will have Medicare for all. With these hands, we will have college for all. With these hands, we will make sure that the working poor and barely middle class in this country have a system that answers to them. With these hands, we will rise. But he also is very good and he's changing the game. So I'm gonna, I have no complaints against Bernie. I know his fault. I know gun control is going to be a major factor that they're going to go after him because now the Sandy Hook people are suing. They got the, they, so Sandy Hook people got the clearance from the Supreme Court to sue Remington. Those families asked to be allowed to sue the company for making the Bushmaster rifle that was used in the Sandy Hook shooting. 20 children and six educators died during that shooting in December of 2012. Now, before today, a lower court had dismissed this lawsuit saying that Remington could not be sued because federal laws protect gun makers from liability when their products are used in crimes. That's going to be one of his Achilles heel. They're going to go after that. Oh, Bernie doesn't want to sue well, the, the gun lobbies. So the gun, the gun companies, excuse me, not lobbies, gun companies. So well, here's the thing. I mean, a couple of things. Bernie's consistency, the, the same old speech, is also sort of one of his assets, whether or not it resonates or not is another question. Because you can literally- I know why he did it. I know but, why I mean, he you did can, it. He's trying to- I know, but you can, you, can, you can literally go back to the 80s and you can read things he's written and, and look at his speeches and it's the exact same speech. And so most politicians don't say that. I mean, you got Kamala, you got Cory Booker, you got, you got Beto, all these other frauds. Um, and they will adapt. They sort of do that Hillary dance. And you're like, there's no history to these people. Their words coming out of their mouth don't resonate with me. They don't. But when Bernie speaks with the same old boring speech, I've heard this before, Bernie, he has all that history. And you're like, well, he's just speaking. The reason it sounds the same, because he's real. He's saying the same thing. Um, and no, Bernie, but I'm just saying, no, I'm not saying to, to, to beat a well, Trump. I, I have a to bit, be a Trump, I, you can't you can't do that. To be a Trump, I, you cannot do that. That's a, that's. I, a, but I'm saying he's he's switching the game up, and I'm impressed. So I don't really have a lot. Let of me tell you, so my, Let me tell you something about Tulsi. I mean, I was leading into this because neither Bernie or or or, or Tulsi ever say anything that they don't believe. Where most politicians will he and haul and try to adapt to to their audience, like like. Uh, like Bernie, one of the things that might hit Bernie because of he had low black support is that like he went to go, he went on the breakfast club. What about when Donald the, Trump goes at you and you know, he's a nasty individual. Calls you crazy Bernie. Now, you know, are, are you ready he to go? He remind, you remind him of, of Doc Brown off Back to the Future. Now, you, did he say that? Or did no, you make that up? Oh, you made that up. See, Are you writing the speeches for him? Don't give him an idea, man. I knew you made that up. Which is a very popular black. Uh, um, oh man, I didn't see, I didn't see that. Radio oh, station. Cool. And he spoke with them, and they've been they've upped their political game. They they spoken to Bernie. They <clears throat> spoke to Andrew Yang. Who's, you know, he's no one knows who Andrew Yang is, but he did very he's well. All over, he's all over Facebook, though. He's got a lot of Facebook ads out there. Yeah, so I know he's, who he is. He's rising up through there. Best way we can empower 
African-American businesses to put money into the hands of African-American consumers. I think 2000 I think you should think $2,000 a month. you hear what he just said? That's real. No, no. The best way to power African-American businesses is put money in the hands of African-American consumers. Yes. That's why I think you should do $2,000 a month. Oh, my gosh, Envy. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna start At with we're gonna people. start we'll start with one, and mm-hmm. then maybe my second term when everyone's loving that first dividend, be like, hey, well, man, I, I got to talk. You don't think sets. black people deserve a little bit more because of slavery, because of segregation? Uh, I I read Ta-Nehisi Coates, and I 100% be- agree with the moral case for reparations. This country was built on the backs of slaves, uh, and uh, you know there, there there's no two ways about it. Um, so to, to me, the question is, what can we get done? There's nothing that we can do as a society that would actually undo that harm or make mm-hmm. that right. There, there is no uh, re- redoing history. Um, but the path forward to me, if we put this dividend in place and at least it starts strengthening communities and then we can take real steps forward uh, towards hopefully, again, can't make things right, but hopefully you can start moving things in the right direction. Andrew Yang, I like you, sir. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you, man. I like I you do. too. I like you. And and um, other people they've spoken to on on that show, Kamala went there. I didn't watch Kamala because she's just, she's everyone's new Hillary. But um, here's what I like. Like one of the things that we talked about were reparations for the black community, et cetera. And uh, he was like, well, I don't, you know, I don't think we need to just write a, a blank check. Uh, I think there are better ways to do that by helping everybody. Now, why does it seem like this week you've been kind of dodging the reparations question? Senator Harris and Senator Warren have both kind of spoken out and said that they agree with some form of reparations. Well, what the question is, what do we, I'm not dodging the question. The mm-hmm. question is, what do we mean by reparations? I mean, it, it, it seems to me a lot of people mean a lot of different things. Uh, to my mind, it means that we have to deal with the fact that there is enormous disparity uh, between the black community and the white community, and that issue has got to be addressed. And I've indicated to you some of the ways that I think it should be addressed. Well, I think they mean uh, some type of economic empowerment to the African descendants of slaves. But what does that mean, economic empowerment? I just talked about the Mm -hmm. fact that I would do my best to change the banking system to make sure that we end racism, that we pay attention to distressed communities, that people get the loans they need to make the investments they need. What about straight cash payouts? No. How much you want, Sean? Do you agree with that? (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you agree with that? Well, first of all, uh, you mean just a check to every African-American? Yes. Well, then there's a check to every Native American who were nearly wiped out when the settlers first came here. I think the way we go forward is to build America together. There are distressed communities, white communities. There are distressed Latino communities. Right now, what you have is a government owned and controlled by big money interests who worries about Wall Street and the drug companies. We're going to change that. And we're going to pay attention to the needs of working families and low-income families uh, in this country in a way that you have never but seen. But this government has also systemically oppressed us in a way that they haven't oppressed other other communities. I mean, through slavery, through segregation, now mass incarceration. And so we, I think it should be something done specifically for African Americans. Well, and all of those issues, mm-hmm. all right, we are going to deal with mass incarceration. And we're going to invest, I think, at the end of the day, if we end the discrimination that exists in financial services, in health care, in education, if we guarantee health care to all people, if we, and we're working on a particular program, make sure that every person in this country uh, has a job because there's enough work to be done dealing with climate change, dealing with our crumbling infrastructure, I would suggest to you that not only the African-American community, but every community will be a hell of a lot better off than they are today. Do you think Democrats really believe in reparations for African-Americans or is it just a good talking point for this campaign I don't cycle? Want to, I don't want to... 
I don't, I don't want to speak for other people. Mm-hmm. And that didn't resonate well with that audience because they were like, hey, I want, give me a check. I don't want a reparation check. I, I think by making the whole structure uh, better for everybody, then people are going to be like, oh, we have this. But because repar- you know what, and you know what, he can't say why he's saying that. He's like, reparations is never going to happen. It's never going to happen. We can do this, but it's sort, of racist, it's sort of racist because a, a, a reparation check for, for black people um, favors reparation check for the Asians who were locked up in jail. Right, you can go down the line from there. Gay right? people, I mean, the people, has a fight, but women. So well, let me finish this, this, this point. Um, so he doesn't say that where other people will. And the problem is not what he's saying. Is the problem is like Trump will just say whatever for the people. He gives people what they want to hear, right? Um, and people vote by that. People go, I like this. This guy has swag, and I'm going to vote for him. They only listen to what people say. I'm asking for the vote of every single African-American citizen in this country who wants to see a better future. Look how much African-American communities have suffered under democratic control. To those I say the following, what do you have to lose by trying Something new, like Trump. What do you have to lose? And some, there's some defect in their brain where they actually think someone's going to be like, hey, by the way, I hate black people, and F them, right? No one's ever going to say they're running for president. What Bernie won't do is just say something to make someone feel good. And let me tell you something about Tulsi. Like, her big missteps were, um, like, her, her history with her father was like, I hate gay people and everything else. And she's this dumb kid going, yes, dad. But that's how people get their entire religion. What are your favorite signs? Fags, donations, I like that sign. God hates you. What does that mean? Fags, donations. It means that there's so many fags in in these nations all around that. What's a fag? A fag is someone who I can't really explain that. A fact is someone who does not obey the the word of God. I guess you could say a fact is a Jew, pretty much. But so, some facts um, call themselves Christians. So, but they make up their their own gods, and that that's just plain wrong. Her father was a religious guy who was like, I hate gay people, right? And he raised his daughter in that mold. And everybody who has a belief got it essentially from their parents, and they grew up with that. So I don't fault her for that. What she did, which is what most people do not do, is they go, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense to me, right? And so she rejected that. That's how you can tell someone's character is that they don't fight for what they were taught. They fight for what they critically, once they get old enough, to believe. I grew up knowing that every person is a child of God and equally loved by God. And I've always believed in the fundamental rights and equality of all people. But I also grew up in a socially conservative household where I was raised to believe that marriage should only be between a man and a woman. So for a period of my life, I didn't see the contradiction in those beliefs. 
While many Americans may be able to relate to growing up in a conservative home, my story's a little different because my father was very outspoken. He was an activist who was fighting against gay rights and marriage equality in Hawaii. And at that time, I forcefully defended him and his cause. But over the years, as I grew up, I formed my own opinions based on my life experiences that significantly changed my views. She went to, I encountered Tulsi in person the first time I went to a Reason rally a couple of years ago. And a Reason rally is basically a science uh, rally. It's outside. And, you know, a lot of people who are pro-science, a lot of people who are atheists and stuff like that, um, they're anti sort of, uh, um, you know, mixing religion with government. They want separation of religion from government. Tulsi showed up to this rally here in D.C., and it blew my mind because she she had her own beliefs and her whole speech was like, I just want people to be able to believe whatever they want to believe. Nothing is more important to me and nothing was more important to our founding fathers than freedom of religion. The freedom of every individual to follow the spiritual path of our choice or to follow no religion at all. Uh, again, there was no reason for her to be there. It, 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 to me, it looked like a political, you know, the optics of her appearing at this reason rally, to me, was like, this could be devastating. Because for, for a lot of people, they just consider it an atheist like, convention. And she got up there and she spoke, I'm not here to promote this or that. I'm here to, I support people's right to choose what they believe. And so that's the way she thinks. She's like, it's not about me, it's about your ability to choose. And then, of course, I met her. I was in a vegan restaurant, and I was talking to my, my girlfriend at the time. Shout out to Becca. Sorry that I messed up everything. Um, and, and she saw us talking, and I didn't realize she was there. And she saw, I think, this was during the uh, uh, DNC in Philadelphia. And I think she saw a little sticker on the back of my iPhone, and it said Bernie or something on it. And she interrupted our conversation. And she was like, hey, I couldn't help but notice your Bernie thing. And we had a small talk. We were sitting right next to our tables. And, and her, we, her, her overarching message was like, keep the fight going. And I'm just some black guy. I had a, you know, I had a, a, a white beater shirt on because it was ridiculously hot in Philly. I was sweating. I was in this very nice vegan restaurant. And I looked like a mess, right? And and she was like, hey, so the fact, the way she spoke, she wasn't running for president. This is 2016. But the way she engaged me, you could tell it was a sincere, she was like, oh, there's someone like-minded. And she stepped out of it. And I got a picture with her. So these two, you know, anecdotal moments with Tulsi. That was Tulsi Gabbard did that? That's crazy. That's that was crazy Tulsi Gabbard. We, we, were, we were sitting next to each other in those two people, you know, right That's, next to wow. And I didn't know. And so that was the second my second interaction with her, and each time she showed me who she was in a way that Bernie. So her her missteps, her historical missteps, 
weren't missteps because she corrected them, not in a chivalry way. Welcome to South Carolina. It's so glad to have you back. Thank you so much. I'm making all this my stepmother Carolina. How are you? Carolina? <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you can give this a good recommendation. Oh. <laughs> 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 Thank you. How are you? <laughs> Where she says, oh, by the way, I've decided now that I believe this. She got old enough to start thinking for herself. And when she did, she rejected nonsense that her, her parents taught her. Yeah, I like ass. I'm not going to be saved by anything. I fuck Christ in the ass, okay? He's not. So I, I would be in full support. And, and her views on war, she goes on The View. And these people are like, I don't want to listen to any of your nonsense. And she's like, no, let me explain it to you. First, thank you for your service, which is something thank I you. say to everyone who has served that, come on, that comes on the show, and I think it's important. Um, that being said, my understanding is you know how I feel about your stance on foreign policy. And when I hear the name Tulsi Gabbard, I think of a sod apologist. I think of someone who comes back to the United States and is spouting propaganda from Syria. You have said that the Syrian President Assad is not the enemy of the United States, yet he's used chemical weapons against his own people 300 times. That was a red line with President Obama. That's our, that is not our enemy. 13 million Syrians have been displaced. So when you say regime change is hurtful for the country, but gassing children isn't more hurtful, it's hard for me to understand where you come from a humanitarian standpoint if you were to become president. Uh, well, you're putting words in my mouth that I've never said. You did not say that Syrian President Assad is not the enemy of the United States. Say it now. Clarify. <laughs> the, the issue here is how can we help alleviate the suffering of people? Just really one moment. Is he an enemy of the United States? An enemy of the United States is someone who threatens our safety and our security. There is no disputing the fact that Bashar al-Assad in Syria is a brutal dictator. There is no disputing the fact that he has used chemical weapons and other weapons against his people. There are other terrorist groups in Syria who have used similar chemical weapons and other weapons of terror against the people of Syria. This is, this is an unfortunate thing that wrenches at every one of our hearts. This is not something I'm disputing, nor am I apologizing or defending these actions. My point is, that the reality we are facing here is that since the United States started waging a covert regime change war in Syria starting in 2011, the lives of the Syrian people have not been improved. Their well-being has not gotten to a better place. Their suffering has not decreased. It has increased in addition to the fact that Al-Qaeda is stronger in Syria today than ever before. So not only are we dealing with the fact that this regime change war we've been waging in Syria has not helped the Syrian people. It has made their lives worse off. Bashar it has also, his people has it has also undermined our national security, leaving us in a place where Al-Qaeda is a stronger threat there than they ever have now, been before. Tulsi, Tulsi. And Iran has greater influence in Syria than ever before. Tulsi. And she didn't, he and she didn't haul in her, her views were unpopular. And she stood there and explained it. And I said, 
she's she's doing that Bernie thing. Okay, so I think a Bernie and a Tulsi ticket would be great. People who just vote for women, that would be great. But people who vote on her her understanding of war and not just you know regime change and everything else, uh, I, I I think she's the real deal. And the, when Bernie and she both when she announced her presidential campaign and Bernie was out there, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but they they released a picture of both Bernie and Tulsi holding hands, and all you could see was their hands holding and saying, you know, more conversation, more dialogue in this political space is good. And so they were united at the very beginning of, of this election process saying, we're not competing, but we're, we're out here to speak on something. So I would be ecstatic if, if it would be a, a Bernie-Tulsi ticket. I think that would be a killer, a killer ticket. And it, it, it could very well happen. Um, three things about that. One is the mic is crackling a little bit. I changed both headsets. I thought that would throw you off. I like your in the middle of the thing shout out, uh, like you're on uh, Love Radio. I like that. I caught that. A little cut, trying to make some amends there. And the Tulsi story. That's uh, you know that when you get touched by someone like that, and there's some genuineness in a in a, in a person, you're, that does change your your view of them. Uh, right. What I like. It was not like about them. You know, it was experiencing them right yeah what what, I, what i'm trying to do and we and you know a little bit of this is that yes i have become a shop steward at my job i'm about to i just enrolled in classes for being a shop steward there's so much to learn about a union i was sworn in i had to read the the oath to become a shop steward you had to read an oath of a constitution um it's a very engaging speech i still have to get the constitution i have to start to read it i have to know my contract so i am involved with my I am involved with my union heavily, uh, which was something I always avoided. Uh, we actually have a union meeting coming up March 28th. I am trying to get involved locally with the Bernie Sanders campaign in any way that I can. Um, so, so when I do these, these, these casts, the reason why I went to Weed Man Joint is to have a perspective. The reason why I went to the Bernie Sanders rally, not only was it was historic, but I need to go there and report what I see honestly. And I also felt, so not only was the turnout poor, I felt like their organizing efforts, they had this long line of people, they should have set up, went up to each person and said, Are you, do you want to volunteer for the Bernie Sanders campaign? What is your borough? Here is your contact person for that. And they did not do that. They were going out and asking about volunteering, but it, the guy was, who was doing it was not going to each person. Hello, are you interested in volunteering? Here's mm -hmm. all the information. So again, I was like, this is not a good sign to me. You know, this, the way they're doing this is not well organized. And it's just, to me, in the last election, so people understood, I was in from the very beginning. People are, people are like saying, oh, you jumped on. There was a guy doing a comedian bit last night on, on the show. He's like, a lot of people jumped in late. I was early on involved yeah. making phone calls yeah. for Bernie Sanders when they had the rules in New York City that you had to have your, your affiliation changed by October, the rule right. was. And if you didn't have your affiliation changed, you couldn't vote to the primaries, and people were totally mind-blown. So we were phone banking, and I was like, these numbers are not moving. Like the, we, we do not have a lot of volunteers right now phone banking for New York City. This is not a good sign. So that from the very beginning, I knew this is not that I, I didn't know it was rigged, but I was like, we're probably not going to make it anyway because we don't have the volunteers. So again, with the unionization and possible volunteering, my point is this. If you're out there still just bitching and moaning that you feel like you got jammed, as they say, by Bernie Sanders or the DNC, and that's what's holding you back, you're making a big mistake. You got to yeah. get out there and do something. You got to get out there and do, I don't care what it is. Join, 
join, like you said, join a sanctuary or join, do something progressive. Don't sit there and bitch and moan about it and get back involved in some way. If politics isn't your thing, then I don't know, you know, like pick, some, pick something else. Pick out something else that you could work towards that's progressive in nature. Don't just be like, ah, yeah. I throw my hands up at the Illuminati. I give up, to, I give up to the Illuminati. I got my fire, well, I got my, you know, I'm good, I'm good. Here's the thing, and we have to close out here. Um, yeah, we do. We have to close out here. So let me let me end with with this. Uh, that's the that's going to be the biggest obstacle for Bernie is because people were swept up by him with so much emotion and passion, and that's a that's an emotion, that's a human experience, and that same emotion is why I think he's very dangerously in trouble in terms of people so burnout out emotionally from the, the last experience. So I don't know how many younger people are, are entering his campaign. I don't know how many new people or old people, not by age, but from the previous election, are just like F Bernie. And other people are like, I'm done. I can't, I don't have enough energy to do this again. And, you know, democratic turnout, independent progressive turnout is always a challenge because Republicans are so gung-ho with, you know, build the wall that they always come out the vote. And so if he's lacking, not for anything he's doing, just from that population that doesn't have the energy or the strength to do this again, he's gonna need a lot of new people, the younger people who were, were inspired and they're not jaded like the, the uh, older people by age were then, and they can pick a great mantle. So that's, that's gonna be the challenge. And so, I mean, this live stream was fun for me. Some of the, what I've been tinkering with in my absence is doing, you know, like documentaries and stuff like that. Um, and so I, I might just play that out as the, as the ending. And um, maybe we'll get the chance to do this again. Congratulations on your Real Progressives possibility um, for you to find an avenue to explore some of these things. If that all falls apart, then there's an opportunity here for us to continue doing this. Um, these conversations are just fun. Uh, I, I literally don't care who sees them. They're just fun. Um, as a little aside, the way this conversation started was Matt texted me, and he's like, oh, I got some stuff going on. I want to talk to you about it. And so then we called, and we, we spoke on the phone for about 30 seconds. And the conversation basically consisted of this. Uh, hey, I got so much stuff going on. Okay, well, I don't want to hear it, because if we're going to do a live stream, tell me there. So... I just hope that. And I said, okay, bye. Bye. We hung up and then we, we, we set up stuff. I had, I had to literally download software that I use because I, I had uninstalled it and removed it and configure it. So that's why we don't have any sort of graphics or anything else like that, which we don't need, but just reference some of our things. Uh, I, I can add that later. But it just shows you where our passion comes from. It's just the passion of conversation connecting, talking about things that interest us, and we want to save it for the show only because we want to keep it real. We want to keep it authentic. We don't have an agenda. We're not trying to get famous, whether famous comedians, famous musicians are famous. We do it because we love it. We do it because it's fun. That's what people need to know. I mean, people and that's all you can do. Right. So if you watch this because you can sense our enjoyment and our, and our passion, that's why you should watch it and watch it for no other reason. So, Matt, I'll give you the last words. Yeah, no, and let's hope we do it again. And, and again, it, it's, it's, we do it because we have to get better and, and, and feel free to discuss whatever we want. 
Um, and like I said, you can tell when we talk, uh, for me, I have not lost my energy for Bernie. And so, um, you know, when the RP comes knocking, if they're going to give me a platform to, you know, talk mostly about Bernie, then I'm probably going to jump on board. If not, then there's, a, and I'm seeing, I'm being honest because I don't think anybody's going to see this anyway. And if that doesn't turn out, then I'm going to be texting you and begging you again to do another podcast because I want to talk about Bernie and what's going on because I do truly believe what you're saying is that this time around might actually be much tougher because, again, and you gave me the last word, they're diluting the field, I believe, on purpose. They're bringing in all these candidates to take, again, take because they're trying to think of another method to steal this away from Bernie, and the way they do it is dilute the field, make him less powerful, divide all those primary votes that are coming up, make him look like he's not the front runner when we know he truly is. We were there. We were there the first time around. The momentum was tremendous. Again, the donations don't lie. What we saw by our own eyes doesn't lie, and they're going to try to steal it again. If you want to turn your back again and do that, that's your take. But my take is to try to spin you back around and get you back, you know, focused on Bernie. And, you know, and let's just let's, let's pray that, that, that this time it, it works out. I'm not promising anything, but to, to turn away now with the energy that's that you're, ne- you're never, this is never going to happen again. And not in our lifetimes. We are not going to see. Maybe Ocasio-Cortez. I don't know if we'll still be a living when she's able to, to run for office. You know, that's, a, that's your guy's Bernie. Will be you know down the road that'll be bailed. But they're only talking about Ocasio Cortez. Our, ours is Bernie Sanders. So yeah, we have two people. The children of Bernie. Yeah, yeah. We're talking truth to power. The way you need to talk these days. It's got to be. It can't be diplomacy anymore. It's got to be when someone says Bernie, the banks think you're dangerous. He's like, yeah, I am dangerous. When he says, do you th- am I going to tax rich people? You're damn right I'm going to tax people. It's got to be this real talk now. You can't have this diplomacy. In it. it doesn't work. Right. It's not genuine. It's not real. So you got this one con man who's talking bullshit and talking real to these people. He's hitting them in their anger spots. And then you have this other guy who's talking to you like, no, this is the way it needs to be. I'm being genuine. I've been doing this for 40 years. Someone's got to start stop talking all this bullshit. And that's what this podcast is. And maybe today's not the best show, or maybe we weren't as honest as we could be, and maybe we have restraints that, that you out there don't understand, whether it be a wife, a kid, a job, but we're trying to talk in the, in the most real way that we can without putting ourselves in, in some sort of jeopardy. That's all I'm trying to do with this show. And I just happen to have great chemistry with, with Curtis because he understands stand-up comedy, how difficult it is. He understands campaigns and how difficult it is. He understands how difficult it is for me to wake up and be a normal human being on this planet that I don't even think I belong on. You know what I'm saying? Somehow he knows that. I don't know how. You're just lucky when you meet someone like that. So, again, I appreciate, you know, you giving me this platform. You do all the work. I've always told you it's all about you. I'm thankful and grateful always that you give me this opportunity. And it's not just blowing smoke up your ass. So you do it again so that you genuinely feel it in your heart. I appreciate it, man. And, and hopefully we do do this again. Excellent. Thank you, Matt. I feel the same. Uh, Bernie and AOC, I mean, Bernie and Trump both changed the game. So that, that's what people have to realize. And so yep. we're going to follow that path as well and speak as authentically and as honestly as we can. Enjoy the rest of your day, sir. Feel the burn. Signing out. <laughs>